0: Christmas is finally here. Santa Claus will be here before you know it. And for moms and dads, well, that means some extra financial stress. Listen up. If you've been stressed a little thin this holiday season, go to savewithconrad.com. right now, we're going to help you go ahead and skip your next two house payments. Really think about that. Your house payment is your single biggest bill. You're going to get to pocket all that cash, not just one time, but for two months. And of course, come March 1st, well, you're going to have a better mortgage. I'm talking to you. If you're in a 30 year loan. It's not a matter of if I can save you money. It's a matter of how much I routinely help 83 weeks listeners take their 30 year loan and reduce their term to 25, 20, or even 15 years. Now, what does that mean to them? They cut years off of their home loan. Really think about that. All the interest that you would pay in just one single month. Now, if you did it for a whole year, it's 12 payments. If you did it for five years, it's 60 payments. How old are you going to be when you pay your house off? How old will your kids be when you pay your house off? If you don't know the answer, you haven't done enough planning. Let's get you out of debt faster so you can retire on time and you can help your kids with their college tuition. But most importantly, let's not pay unnecessary interest. We routinely help 83 weeks listeners save 60, 70, 80, even hundred thousand dollars worth of unnecessary interest. Now, if you don't go to savewithconrad.com, you'll work for that money, pay taxes on it, and then just give it away. And oh, by the way, if you've got credit card debt, I can get rid of it just like that. And by the way, the interest rate on that credit card, is probably more than 19%. You know, you can get a better rate than that. And how about this? You may not realize the interest you pay on your credit card. It's not tax deductible. Whereas your mortgage interest, it is tax deductible. So if you can get a lower monthly payment, pay your house off faster, get a better interest rate. And oh, by the way, get a greater tax deduction? Why wouldn't you do that? Find out how easy it is right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and it just takes about 10 minutes to get started. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. And oh, by the way, even credit scores in the 500s could be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. And we're licensed in like 40-something states. We can do it for your family right now. SaveWithConrad.com. New, 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 new world order. Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with the creator of Monday Nitro, the innovator of the NWO, the by God Hall of Famer, no matter what anybody says, Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Eric, what's going on, man? Just enjoying
1: a beautiful Saturday morning in Dunedin, Florida. Looking forward to uh, getting my Christmas cheer on a little bit later today. We're starting to do some grocery shopping, getting ready for the uh, for the big uh, Christmas cook, so things are good.
0: What's on the uh what's on the menu this year at the uh the Bischoff household for Christmas?
1: Okay, this is gonna sound really strange to probably anybody that hears <throat> what I'm about to say. But um I'm making a Hanukkah brisket.
0: All right. I'm not mad at yeah. that.
1: Yeah my, years ago years ago. Well not that long probably 2007 or eight or something like that. Lori and I and the kids were living in Arizona and Jason Hervey, who was my business partner at that point and a close family friend, his parents were coming down to Scottsdale to hang with Jason and his family and Jason and his family lived not too far from where I did in, in Arizona. And being that they're Jewish and grew up in New York, I thought, you know, And they were coming over to our place for Christmas. I thought, I'm going to make them a Hanukkah brisket. So I went to the Food Network. has a whole bunch of recipes in there. And I found a really, really good uh, recipe for Hanukkah brisket. And then uh, Mrs. B made latkes, which is like a little kind of a traditional Jewish pastry. Or not even pastry. It's it's almost like a, a version of a hash brown, but they're made differently. So that's what we did for Christmas, and we're for no particular reason. We're we're not going to be uh, sharing Christmas with any of our Jewish friends or family. So, for no particular reason, we just decided to make a Hanukkah brisket, and that's the plan.
0: Well, you're making me look bad because uh, I do have uh, Jewish family members who are going to be present and accounted for at the Conradison Christmas, but I'm just making a regular ass prime rib.
1: Well. I would probably do something similar if I had my big big green egg, but being we're at an Airbnb and I've got one of those little propane, you know, $49 Walmart grills out in the back. um, I decided I didn't want to try to make any really great cuts of meat on a grill, so uh, I opted to go the brisket route.
0: Well, either way, no matter what you're sitting down to, to dine on this Christmas, we appreciate that you're getting your Christmas week started this week with us. Here on 83 weeks on Westwood one. And if you're still looking for some little last minute stocking stuffers, we got an idea to get you some more. See switching to boost mobile gives you more and we're surprising people with more at every turn because boost doesn't offer just one great thing. They offer many great things like our super reliable, super fast network, but there's more you get four free Samsung galaxy phones for the whole family when you switch to boost, but there's more. About four lines for $25 per line per month with unlimited gigs for data, talk, and text boost mobile, the switch that gives you more limited time offer while supplies last offering coverage, not available everywhere. Each free phone requires port in additional terms and conditions apply. Visit boostmobile.com or your nearest retailer for details. And I got to tell you, Eric, when you're talking about, you know, more bang for your buck. Four lines for $25 a month with unlimited gigs and four free phones. This is one hell of an offer from Boost Mobile.
1: Hell of an offer. And, you know, whether you're a parent and you've got a bunch of kids running around the house that each need phones and lines and all that, or you're a small business owner, whatever. Um, what a hell of a deal. And they keep running this deal. I keep thinking, well, this is only going to last a month. They can't afford to be able to do this for very long. And this promotion has been going on for some time. I think boost mobile is going to try to take over the world.
0: Check it out. Boost mobile, the switch that gives you more. Let's talk about when you were trying to take over the world. That's our topic today, December 15th, 1997. We're going to do a watch along for a very special edition of a Monday Nitro. It's very special because this is the episode where we're going to debut unbelievably Brett, the Hitman heart. I say unbelievably because he was arguably one of the hottest, most important figures in wrestling. And now he's just jumped ship. Of course, we're on the heels of the Montreal Screwjob. We'll talk about that. And we're just a couple of weeks away from the biggest WCW pay-per-view of all time. The greatest WCW storyline ever to this day. Of course, we're talking about Sting and Hulk Hogan at Starrcade 1997. We've covered that in long form in our archives. We've also talked about Brett and WCW in our archives. But this time we're actually going to get a little more context because context is king, my friend. And, uh, we're going to watch this episode. So far up the WWE network, December 15th, 1997, I'll give you a quick countdown, uh, three, two, one play. And when I say play, you press play. Hopefully you've got mute. Maybe you've got your closed captioning on and, uh, we'll get this thing going. Eric, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Three, two, one play. I love this nitro open just recently saw this on a watch along episode with you. And this is still the classic one. I know eventually you guys would change. And when you did the whole logo change, the, the entrance would change. It's not the same, man. Cause this is when I was at the, the peak of my fandom. So this is the one that I sort of most closely relate to when I think of Monday nitro,
1: it was a great, great intro, um, great open in it. You know, it's really funny. Once we started getting rolling, and certainly we were rolling strong here in '97. Um, man, th- that when that when that intro would come on and that music would start to play, you knew something really cool was going to happen. And that's uh, that's that's the sign of a good intro.
0: <laughs> here we see uh, our Talking Heads at the desk, from left to right: Mike Tenet, Tony Schiavone, and Larry Zabisco. It's always fun to go back and, and look at 1997 fashion. You see, uh, Mike Tanay rocking the, the no collar shirt there on the left, with the, all of them buttoned up the denim shirt for Tony Schiavone and then a turtleneck and a blazer for Larry Zabisco. Larry was the, uh, the king of style here. Was he not?
1: He was, he was a fashionista as well as, um, you know, one of the best wrestlers <laughs> in this
0: scene of the dummy sting. <laughs> Coming down from the roof. And of course he just crashes right through. And then when they dig him out, you know, the dummy sting who crashed through the mat. of course, now it is not the dummy sting. Great stuff. That, man. that was, that was a hell of a scene. It was, it was the most fucking look at there super Dave thing ever, but there's the real Steve board and the real sting. And look at the look on Hulk Hogan's face. Could he sell it? Oh my gosh. This was, this
1: might've been, I I don't know. You know, when I see a scene like this, I think to myself, oh, this has got to have been one of the hottest scenes in that whole sting NWO Hulk Hogan storyline. I mean, it was just, it was so good. It was just so good.
0: That's the thing. There's, I feel like there's like 10 moments like that. You know, we've talked about. You know, uncensored ninety-seven and the big chaos at the end of the show. That was March. This is December. I mean, these days when a storyline gets white hot, it's you know two weeks in, three weeks in. It's not you know eight fucking months in. And this thing,
1: give me me an example. Just and I don't mean to cut you off, brother, but give me an example of a storyline in the last three years that was white hot. Fair enough crickets do I hear crickets fair enough okay just checking because if I miss something I want to know but I I don't think storylines are just not the emphasis it doesn't appear any longer I mean it angles are you know we'll shoot an angle we'll see something that makes us go oh wow that's cool but I I have yet I I would have a hard time putting my finger on a what I would refer to as a storyline. Um, over the last three or four years, even marginally hot lukewarm would be exciting. <clears throat> Sorry.
0: Well, there's been storylines, you know, for sure. Like let's take AEW for example, you know, the whole Cody Rhodes MJF storyline. You know, we all saw that coming of course. And they were, they were more patient with it than I think maybe uh, WWE would have been at any given time recently, but still, you know, it was, it was months not not near the, the hall that it was here. I mean, sting becomes crow sting in September of 1997 or 1996. And we don't see the the sort of payoff with him and Hogan until December of the following year. So over a freaking year.
1: And And that's a, I mean, look, I mean, that's unusual. We may or may not ever see that again. I think the audience today, the television audience has morphed and changed and a lot of that has to do with everything else that they see on, on television you know people aren't really they're binge watching things now they want though they want they want to see all 10 episodes over the course of an evening with a bowl of popcorn and a six pack of beer right they get their content their sports content is, is all coming to them you know on their iphones in short in, in short uh pieces uh Everybody is consuming everything so much faster today that I don't think the television audience, I don't think you could have a sustained 12 month story just because, not because people aren't capable of coming up with one or the talent isn't capable of executing it if they did, but I just don't think the television audience today is interested or is willing to invest. And maybe that's the key. You know, the Cody MGF storyline. Yeah, it was a, by today's standards, that was a long-running storyline, but it didn't have the drama to support it. I don't think a storyline, just for clarification, should be judged by how long it plays out, right. but how well it plays out over a long period of time. This story played out exceptionally well over a long period of time. didn't end that well, as we know, but that wasn't because the story wasn't there. It was because we made a bad choice to end that story. But I, I think today it would be really hard to find an audience for a protracted story. But
0: The word is patience. You know, we're in an instant gratification Twitter society. People want real time. They want now, now, now. We're very impatient. And I can't help but wonder how much of that is just the way of the world now through technology and things like that. And how much of it is Vince McMahon, not having patience? like Vince McMahon. It feels like, you know, it, I, again, I don't know him not like you do. Certainly. Uh, but we hear that he changes his mind a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard that, huh? Uh, yeah. So it, the, the idea being, you know, he may, he may love something today and then not tomorrow and tomorrow it's the dumbest thing ever, or at least that's what we hear. So, I guess my question is, do you think that wrestling has maybe changed because society has changed and the the audience doesn't have patience, or is Vince not willing to just have some patience and hang in the pocket and invest the time? Does he get, sort of second guess himself to the disadvantage of everyone
1: i you know i don't want to speak to you know what makes Vince McMantic or how he thinks because I 'm not capable of addressing that. Um, for a lot of reasons. But I think in general, it's a little bit of both, right? It's, you know, on one hand, if you're a producer, writer, producer, whatever you want to call it, um, and you lay out a storyline on paper that you're excited about and you get into it and after a week or two or three, you're not getting the kind of uh, support in terms of ratings or, or reaction in terms of ratings that you were anticipating Then I think in general, not just, you know, with WWE or AEW or anybody else, the tendency is to start adjusting. The tendency is like, oh, wow, we're not doing as well as we should have done with this story or as well as I thought we would do with this story. Or God forbid, oh, my God, the ratings are down this week. What are we going to do? You know, and and panic begins to ensue. Maybe not immediately, but it slowly starts creeping in. And as you pointed out, people start second-guessing themselves. So I think what happens is, you know – or what's happening is there's nobody in, you know, a lead creative position that I'm aware of that number one lays out a story for any length of time. Um, you know, I've often heard rumors for many, many years, how a certain wrestling organization to remain unnamed, but one can only assume or figure it out, I guess, between the things I'm about to say, that generally there was a lot of long-term planning and working backwards and all that. I can tell you that that was not my experience. I can tell you that in most places, you know, whether it was TNA and even in WCW, by the way, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, guilt-free on this, um, but only a handful of our stories, and they, ironically, they end up being some of the more interesting ones, really were planned for a specific period of time, or at least targeted over a specific ter- period of time. By targeted, I mean we may have only planned, you know, let's run this program for three months, get halfway into it, and realize, whoa, it's better than we thought, aka, or, you know, or, or for example, the Sting store. We never intended that story to play out over the course of a year. When we sat down and said, "Okay, let's let's do something that's never been done. Let's make this, you know, a 12-month storyline, or actually longer than that," that wasn't the case. Really, we knew we knew what the end of the story was going to be. We knew the premise of the story. That's a better way to say it. We we had a very clear picture of the premise of the story, the first act, and the second act, and the end, the third act, to a degree. But I had no idea how how long it was going to play out. We, I think we probably talked about it initially for three or four months as it's you know life expectancy. But once we got into it, it was like, holy shit, there's a lot of stuff we can do with this story so that we can make it last. And that's what we did.
0: Yeah. I and mean, the word we always got about the way the WBF was booked you know, a generation ago is they would sort of work backwards from WrestleMania and they would just you know, have their stuff sort of mapped out a year in advance and doesn't always feel that way in 2019. That's for sure.
1: No, there's a lot of pressure, you know, there's a lot of pressure on ratings. I keep hearing people say ratings don't matter. Um, I've never heard anyone from a network say that ratings don't matter. (laughs) But I keep hearing people in the wrestling business, you know, kind of dismissing, you know, the significance of ratings. And I guess that's easy to say if you're not running a television network and you're not responsible to your shareholders uh, of that network in in terms of keeping it profitable and and doing the best you can uh, with that property. But, you know, whatever. At the end of the day, you know, people are living and dying, whether they admit it or not, or reacting to it at the very least. Week-to-week ratings, uh, um, they're, they're an indicator. They tell you where your business is going. You can look at your television ratings, and that'll tell you pretty much what your pay-per-view numbers are going to look like. You can look at your television ratings, and it can tell you, for the most part, you can extrapolate you know, what your live event business is going to start to look like. Um, television ratings mean a lot more than people are admitting, either to themselves or publicly.
0: It's been a uh, an interesting run here with uh, the new quote unquote Wednesday Night War. This past week, uh, another win for NXT. AEW takes the loss, and even when AEW has lost in the past to NXT, uh, sort of the AEW defenders would say, "Well." They may have had more viewers, but we won in the demo that matters you know where advertisers are looking you know men 1834 or whatever the number is 1849 whatever we're winning those men and that's what that's what the network really cares about but this week NXT even won in that category and so the key demo that aW defenders had always sort of hung their hat on NXT even won there you know you were Mr. ratings back in the day one week. Cause for concern or too early to say?
1: Um, before I answer that, I want to address the AEW defenders <clears throat> that, you know, share their knowledge of, you know, the advertising world and what networks, you know, what's most important to a network and all that kind of horse shit. Um, I got news for people, pull up a chair get a pen you're going to want you're going to want to write this down you're going to want to keep this in your pocket so when you get into this type of a conversation with your other wrestling friends you'll be able to speak articulately and accurately and this is one of the reasons why you know 83 weeks listeners are undoubtedly the most sophisticated knowledgeable wrestling fans out there and they they become that way by listening to the show because we share the real information. We don't bullshit anybody. No brag, just fact. It's all right here, but I got news for people. Get, Get ready. Write this down in three, two, one, the 18 to 49 year old demo has always been the target. It's not like this is a new piece of business. It isn't all of a sudden, why have wrestling fans latched onto the fact that, well, it doesn't matter what the ratings are. It only really matters, you know, what that key demo is. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, yes, 18 to 49 is the target. It most certainly, It's by the way, it's a broad ass target. Um, it is the target. And it always has been the target. This isn't news. But to answer your question specifically, um, I wouldn't panic if I was AEW. And and no, you know, one week, even though it was a pretty big gap this time, um, I wouldn't sweat that. I'd I'd pay attention to it. But let's keep in mind, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Connor, because I'm not 100% sure I'm right on this. Um, Wasn't NXT this week commercial free?
0: Oh, I don't know about that.
1: Something tells me, something tells me, I I read about it, that this last week's episode was going to be commercial free. Now, if I'm right, and I could be wrong, I didn't watch the show, I'm not paying that close attention, but if I'm right, and it was a commercial free episode going up against an episode with commercials in it. I would expect that NXT would do a better job of holding their audience. In fact, if they wouldn't have held their audience being commercial free, I think NXT should be, would be the ones that would be in a panic because that would be indicative of a much, much more significant issue. Now, if that's, if that's, if NXT actually ran head to head without commercials, uh, and if that's the case, no, I, I, this is an aberration. It's, it doesn't really matter in the long run.
0: You know, but I, if, it was the as I've right.
1: said, as I've said before, if the NXT, excuse me if NXTs or aew's numbers continue the trajectory that they're on, uh, it's just this will be a war of attrition. This won't be a war that's building things bigger like the Monday Night Wars did. this is just a war between you know aew and, and the WWE you know C show that's going to be determined by who can outlast the other. Until they start building an audience, because based on what I've seen, neither of them are building an audience. They're, to one degree or another, they're both losing audience.
0: The title matches were commercial free, not the whole show. Okay. Well, even still. Yeah, clever. Well done.
1: That'll be interesting to see if that's something that continues. that and, and I I predicted it will. I predict that we'll see, based on last week's numbers, yeah. and and the effect that it had on AEW. I think if if I were if I were calling the shots, uh, I would be on the phone with USA Network first thing Thursday morning, and and convincing them to stick with that format and allow us to have our main event our title matches um, commercial free because that that's how you end up stealing market share over a long period of time otherwise it's just a one-off stunt and a good one but it, in a long range in the long run it won't matter
0: of course what's going on in the ring right now big bubba rogers and your man mike jones um we also saw clips as a reminder we're in charlotte north carolina we saw a clip of rick flair calling out Bret hart for saying he was the best wrestler of all time and saying hey i want you to come to charlotte and say that so As we know, Bret Hart is going to be here. We also saw the entire NWO a few minutes ago out here, yourself included, really jaw jacking, trying to lay the groundwork for Starcade. This has got to be, you know, and I know there's lots of peaks and valleys in your tenure with Nitro, but home stretching here to the biggest pay-per-view you guys have ever done, you got to be feeling extra confident. Do you know it?
1: I I was. uh, I was very confident. It was a really, it was a great time. It was just a really great time. The, the tide had definitely turned by this point. We were confident now in what we were doing and how we were doing it. Uh, Not that everything we did was perfect. Clearly it wasn't. We've, we dropped a lot of bombs during this period of time too, but for the most part uh, we were really comfortable with the direction. Turner was thrilled with the, the way things were going, I had a tremendous amount of support from Ted. So it was a very good time to be me back in December of 97.
0: This is fun here. We see, uh, Kevin Nash dressed up as sting and smacking the giant's hand with a bat. And of course, Scott Hall stomping the hand and doing whatever he can, because Kevin Nash is going to be squaring off at starcade with the giant, uh, to see who is the true giant. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, as a kid, I was pretty excited about this as an adult, I realized had this match actually happened, it would not have been the best match Two giant, big lumbering guys like that. While it may be a cool visual on paper, the execution is Kevin Nash always had better matches when he had somebody to sort of work with him and work around him. When he can really throw around a Ray Mysterio or Shawn Michaels, you get that classic David and Goliath story. Not so much for the big show.
1: No, and you're absolutely right. You know, you put two guys who are that big together. You know, everything's slower. You, you you don't have that visual impact of seeing someone like you know Paul White. He's a massive size. You know, competing against you know even an average size professional wrestler at that time. You I know, mean, somebody that's two forty, two fifty. Uh, still, that size discrepancy, you know, begins to tell a story before the bell rings. You know, the premise of your story is pretty well laid out for you. But when you get two giants together, you're right. You know, when I, you know, Kevin Nash, at whatever he is, seven foot some, um, over 300 pounds at that point, you know, he wasn't as big as Paul. But goddamn, there weren't many people bigger than him either um, in the business. So, You you can expect a slower match. It's harder for these guys to bump in a very dramatic and effective way like you can when you're smaller. If you're 230, 240 and good at it. So you're right. It just ends up being a slower, uh, less interesting match when you got two big guys together. Sonny, oh no, by the way, Sonny just had open heart surgery on what day is today? Saturday. He had it Monday morning by the way in minneapolis and i got a text from him and he said he's doing well actually he said i sent him a text saying hey how are you he goes it hurts like hell hoping for better days and then he reached out to me a couple hours later and said he's actually feeling pretty good so hopefully he's going to be home soon
0: man that's uh, i mean i knew he had a heart issue a while back i know he's having an open heart surgery that's terrible
1: Yeah, he, uh, they, they went in, he said, he's got a big zipper, you know, right down the middle of his chest. And he went in and they had to, uh, I don't know what they exactly did. He had two valves that were severely blocked. So I think they had to put stints in those valves or in the, yeah, in those valves and some other stuff. Pretty serious.
0: Yeah. I hate to see that. He just, just recently, uh, popped over to Japan, right. And did some TV gimmick over there talking about old school wrestling. Yeah, he was over
1: there. Working. In fact, he sent me a picture. What was it a week ago? And he's, you know, he's flying first class on uh, Japan Airlines, and you know, he takes a picture of the sushi they were serving him in first class. And you know, I, I said, Sonny, where the hell are you? Because I knew he had the open heart surgery coming up. Right. And I, and I expected he'd be home getting ready to go get his chest cut open. And now he's on a plane heading over to Japan. He was working with Fuji TV. Um, And they were doing, they are doing a special on Akira Hokuto and her time in WCW. And the fact that uh, Akira Hokuto uh, actually, and you'll get a kick out of this because I didn't know it until I did an interview with them because they interviewed me too while while they were here in Florida. But Akira Hokuto uh, actually has in her possession the WCW Worlds Championship.
0: Oh my gosh, that's awesome! She,
1: She was the last person to hold it. And subsequently, uh, still has it in her possession. And I immediately thought of you.
0: I don't oh. <laughs> ever love like, that.
1: No, I started working for you. I'm thinking of myself <laughs> as I'm doing this interview. And and the you know I was doing an interview with Fuji TV, right? They came to Tampa to sit down with me for a couple hours. And we're doing the in the middle of this interview. I'm thinking, how do I get a message over to Akira Hokuto that I know this guy yep. that would love to have that belt, but i think she's got bigger plans for it
0: it's a pretty cool bell too i mean the uh, main plate is not like anything you guys ever did so uh although not often seen on tv a very interesting design to say the least
1: collector's item to be sure
0: oh for sure and speaking of uh, japanese talent we see yuji nagata here who's going to go on to have one hell of a career very early in his career here given the what for to disco inferno and We've talked about Disco a lot here on the show and how you and I both thought, you know, he was a utility player who could have pretty much done anything and he made a character work that a lot of people wouldn't have been able to. But boy, these days, he sure does love keeping it stirred up on social media and on his podcast with Kony. And does he not?
1: He does. He does, you know, he's, and, and he, before we talk about that, this is a really interesting match for Disco because, for the most part, Disco played a comedic character right, and it got his heat just by being such a cornball. You wanted to smack him uh, like Sonny Ono's doing here with some pretty weak kicks. So, oh, that was a nice good spin hook kick. Nicely done, Sonny. You've redeemed yourself. Um, but this is a match where, you know, Glenn or Disco is actually pretty aggressive, looks legitimate, credible. Um, it's a different style for him. He looks good. But yeah, he does like to steer the shit, doesn't he? He's he does. outspoken. I
0: like it. He can uh he's got different gears as a performer.
1: He does. He does. No, I don't listen to him. You know, I've I've been on Conan's show, you know, with Disco and I enjoy it. I love being on with those guys. It's pretty laid back. It's great. And every time I do one, we do it on Skype, and I can, you know, I can see Conan and Disco. Everybody's on camera. And you know, Conan's just banging that fucking bong during his whole show. Oh, I just think it's great. I couldn't do it, but I think it's great that he does.
0: Let's talk about, uh, Bret Hart. As we get ready for his big debut, uh, Brett has said of his first visit to the WCW offices in Atlanta, that he bumped into Hogan Macho and Eric Bischoff, who smiled confidently at me as he said, confidently at me, as he said, if you think you're a big star now you're going to be an even bigger star when I'm done with you. Do you remember running into uh, Brett in the office and having some sort of similar conversation or comment?
1: Okay. This is going to be challenging and I don't want our listeners to be disappointed. Right. Cause normally, you know, when certain things are brought up that don't ring true to me, I tend to be a little aggressive about it and in, in the way I discuss it. And I'm, I I ran into Brett over in the UK. I don't know when it was. Last spring sometime. And we, you know, it was, it was kind of awkward because we were all sitting together and Rick was, Rick Flair was there. Undertaker was there and myself and uh, a bunch of, a bunch of people were there. Not to just name drop for the sake of name dropping, but a lot of the, that generation of wrestlers were there, including myself. And, I, you know, I wait, you know, that, that was the first time Brett Hart and I had been in the same room since a lot of the conversations and books and shoot interviews and, you know, me mouthing off a lot of, a lot of water had gone under the bridge by the time we were sitting together at this table. And, you know, I waited for Brett to get up and use the restroom or go get a beer or whatever he was doing. And I followed him and I pulled him off, pulled him aside. And I, you know, we spoke briefly, not long and I made it clear to Brett that despite all the crap that went down and things that have been said back and forth, I'm done with it. You know, I don't want to live, you know, carrying that baggage around. And every time Bret Hart's name comes up, me digging for something, you know, to respond or a, a way to respond. So I, I'm going to tell you when these kind of situations come up throughout the show. I, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to tell you what I remember and don't remember and whether I think something actually happened or not, but I'm not going to color it any further than that. I, I'm just going to tell you that if the answer is no, I don't remember it happening. Um, and I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, I, th- that. That conversation was so out of context with regard to everybody's personalities there, you know, myself, Hogan, it, it, it who else was supposed to be there? Was it Randy? Yeah. Yeah. Neither Randy or Hulk would say something like that. That's not in their nature. And everybody knew that Brett coming in was a little bit, um, it was a little stressful for everybody. And everybody knew what Brett had gone through at WWE and the Screwjob. So nobody's going to, Nobody's going to make a statement like that. It's just completely out of context. And one of the reasons why I'm confident it, it never happened.
0: We just saw Disco Inferno beat Eugene Nagata clean. Meltzer would say that there's going to be a little bit of controversy about that in Japan because they're gearing up for their big Tokyo dome show in just a couple of weeks. How about this look for fit Finley? What do you think of this Mad Max looking jacket here?
1: Hmm. You don't like it? No. I love Fit Finley's work. I, I really, I respect the hell out of him as a human being and as a man. Um, but this look, yeah, just wasn't, wasn't getting it for me. I guess, it's, a, I guess, you know why, Conrad? Because it's a little too similar. I mean, it looks a little bit like something the Steiners would have worn to the ring. It looks a little bit like a, a, a version of a, a Road Warriors kind of adaptation. Um it didn't feel original.
0: I could see you wearing that to the bar. I did. I mean I yeah. could s- on a Harley you pull up in that shit, come on.
1: Yeah, and I used to have this viking helmet with cow horns coming out of it, the big long look like I had hair down in the middle of my back so when I put put it on I looked like some kind of a my- mongolian warrior. That would look really good with that jacket.
0: And you would pop out your front teeth, the whole deal. Yeah absolutely so we see dean malenko coming to the ring here um listeners to the tony Schiavone podcast are well aware of the incredible heat between dean malenko and tony Schiavone.
1: what is up with that tell me more
0: they've just got serious heat man like they had a fucking knockdown drag out in catering a few weeks ago
1: get out of here are you serious yeah no there's got to be a punchline to
0: this this can't be real of course it's not i just made it up for the purposes of the show and now it's a gag on the show Oh, like there's no chance Dean Malenko. Well, first of all, I think Dean Malenko is like one of the nicest guys ever. Any idea that Tony Schiavone is getting in a fight with anybody other than Lois just is not believable. No.
1: Well, that's what struck me because I was reading about it. I meant to ask you about it. (laughs) I'm, 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 I'm reading about this heat that Tony and Dean Malenko have. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Something is not right here. Dean Malenko is one of the most easygoing people. He's funny. He's got a great sense of humor. His his ego, his self-image is all very healthy and well intact. And Tony is the same way. Tony's just too nice of a guy to get in a fight with anybody. And by the way, I don't think Tony fights with Lois. I think Lois may beat the shit out of Tony, but yes. in that case, he's more of a victim yes. than than a combatant. Yes. You know, in, in order to suggest that Lois and Tony are fighting, that would— Suggests at least that Tony would try to defend himself, either verbally intellectually or physically. And I can assure you, and you probably could assure me that none of that would actually ever happen.
0: No, it's, it's lowest in a squash match every time. Oh
1: my God. It's a 30 second squash.
0: Yeah. Well, either way, if, if you can hear our voice right now, you too should take to Twitter and tweet at, uh, at Tony Schiavone. um, and, and let him know that you disagree with his stance on Dean Malenko and, and that this is definitely very real heat with the Iceman and, and the voice of our childhood. And we just got to get that chatter going because I've had at least half a dozen guys in the business, including mutual friends of ours ask what's going on with you, with, with you and, and Dean Malenko and Tony Schiavone. Like, I,
1: well, I, I, know I, I just ask. no. I, don't. I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, and I've seen it all. I've been a part of things like this. I've, I should have sensed it, but when I kept reading about it, I go, God, it must. Be. How the fuck could that possibly happen?
0: Yeah, they, they got in a knockdown drag out over who was getting the last gluten-free waffle. I guess DDP was in
1: Tony doesn't eat gluten-free.
0: No, he, Come does. On. he does now. He's dropped a Don't. bunch of LBs thanks to uh, DDP Yoga. Oh, good for him. He's tracking it on his app and the whole deal. and It's a big deal. Oh, I was sad to see uh, that recently DDP made an announcement that he and uh, Brenda were no moss. A shout out to DDP. I know that's uh, a tough situation to go through a split like that. And um, we need to uh, support our friend Diamond Dallas Page right now.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I'm, you know, I read it uh, online and I also read some of DDP's quotes and comments on it. And evidently, and you know, I don't, I don't know. I met Brenda one time, so I don't know Brenda real well. But, uh, Split amic- amicably, uh, no, no heat, no, nobody was screwing around on anybody, no, none of that. It just, you know, it was two people that, you know, grew apart and decided that uh, they were better off friends than they were husband and wife. And sometimes that happens, you know, it's not unusual, but it's it is unusual that people can spend some time together as husband and wife and split up and remain friends. And I'm sure that that'll be the case with TDP and Brenda.
0: Yeah, it's weird, you know, because that's just how DDP rolls. Like, gosh, probably five, six years ago when WrestleMania was in New Orleans, the first time uh, I knew Dallas and I was a few tables away. And I kept looking because I'm like, man, I could be wrong. But that looks like he's sitting with his girlfriend slash fiance, Brenda and Kimberly at the same table. And sure enough, it is. They're all friends. And, And he's maintained a friendship with Kimberly all these years. So it's not surprising to me that If, if something happens with, with him and Brendan, they have to go their separate ways, he's going to maintain that same level of dignity and respect and all of that with her as well. Yep. That's just who he is. Man. What a, what a match here. You know, we just saw, I don't know. It's easy to sort of dismiss disco inferno, but really a great match with disco and Eugene, Nagala, and now fit Finley and Dean Malenko. It's one of those deals where you don't realize how good you had it until years later, because. These are two of the all time greats here. When you just look at the technical in ring prowess, it's a short list that you would want to make and and fit Finley and Dean Malenko are on that list.
1: Both of them. So believable. So believable. Their timing is great. They both know how to sell. Look at this pretty much flawless match so far. There was one little kerfuffle in the beginning. I think when, uh, It looked to me like fit was making a move for a pile driver. It got a little sloppy, but other than that, this
0: match has been for the most part, flawless. Talk to me about formatting of the shows. You know, we, we hear that, you know, these days, even during the show, Vince could be reformatting and changes, changing his mind. And I know eventually you would be accused of that with nitro as well. Oh, there we see Eddie Guerrero looking only as he can look creeping down the aisle. Um, here though, you would have had sort of your rough cut, your rough first version of the show on what day? Obviously we're on a Monday night show. Would you have had it the prior Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday?
1: We would have had it laid out Friday and then we would have fine tuned it on Monday, you know, starting probably around 11 o'clock Monday morning. And I, you know, I don't, uh, again, I want to be careful about what I say with regard to WWE and, and especially Vince. Um, I don't know that that's true that Vince, rewrites the show during the show because he's changing his mind necessarily. I guess that could be true I don't know. I've never seen that Um, but I have seen shows have to be reformatted um, because of timing issues because of injuries because of poor communication there's a lot of reasons why right in the middle of a show you have to reformat it Um, and and I don't really think it comes down to just a whimsical kind of subjective opinion about what you're seeing. I think it more, more often than not, if not almost exclusively, it's a matter of having to adjust to something that happened that you weren't expecting.
0: So talk to me about, you know, the, the formatting of the show here in 1997, you know, this is, you know, email exists, but it's not like, Everybody who's on the writing staff is comfortable with email probably by 1997. How are you formatting the shows? Or is this all handwritten in, in a big boardroom, like a war room of sorts, and then somebody types it up for you guys for everyone to review on Monday and you fine tune it? You, you redline it with pens? Or what, what does that process look like? Because the technology gap between 97 and 2019 is pretty tremendous.
1: Yeah, it really was. And it's amazing to think about the differences between then and now as it happens. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, we would start meeting on Wednesday, generally, to start talking about the next week's show. So, we, you know, we had a big conference room in, in, at WCW when we were at the CNN Center, especially. We had a conference room that would hold probably 25, 30 people if we needed it. Uh, but we, you know, everybody that was associated with booking would would all meet, and we'd spend the day, you know, bouncing ideas around, or, you know, dealing with a story that we already had and figuring out how we were going to uh, keep that story going, or what the next chapter, or what the next you know beat was going to be, and then in some cases we were starting new stories or we were laying out new matches underneath that. So that process would start on a Wednesday. And it would go Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. By the end of the day, Friday, and usually it was Annette Yoder, who was a a producer, would be in those meetings, or it might be Tony or anybody else, really, that was keeping notes. And then those notes at the end of the day would be typewritten and distributed to everybody so that we had it, and we'd be looking at it. And by the time we got to TV, uh, television, um, Craig Leathers, uh, Keith Mitchell, David Crockett to agree all would have been involved in timing the show uh, and, and laying that show out uh, on paper. And then we'd see that typed up format Monday when we got the TV and we just started making adjustments from there as needed.
0: We uh, got the next big segment here. And what a barn burner this is going to be. Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrera as a tag team. Which is, you know, these guys were longtime rivals in Mexico. And, of course, we saw a series of matches with them in ECW. And, of course, when Ray first debuted with uh, WCW, which we've documented on our Ray Mysterio episode. But across the ring from them, Psychosis and La Parca, with the exception of Conan, because I've always sort of put him in a different category. These are the, the four most sort of prolific luchadors in WCW history. Am I right?
1: I would tend to agree with that. You know, I'm not I'm not a luchador expert. I don't pretend I am one. But when I think of the last 20 years and the names that really stand out the most, and the guys that had, you know, some of the greatest matches and stories and angles, you know, you're looking at four of them
0: right there. Now, I don't mean in terms of all of, you know, Mexican wrestling history. I just mean from a WCW standpoint, these were the ones that were the most featured, most prominent, you know, best
1: matches. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: You know, the La Parker character in particular, uh, I think uh, captured everybody's imagination, the whole chairman of the board and him dancing. And yeah, you know, he's all <laughs> see the crotch job. He just had, he showed a lot of personality.
1: He really did. Um, you know, he was comedic yet believable because he was so athletic, you know, I mean that look at that. I mean, that was a, not an easy move to make kicking somebody in the head as you're running by them without killing them. Uh, but he was able to do that pretty effectively. So he was he was com- he was comedic, but yet you know dangerous and aggressive, which is a great combination. Nice contrast.
0: And he's taller than most, so you know he has a little more weight to him. He he looks like you know he has the size to be more of a bully in this luchador division, so to speak. But you you got two of the greatest high flyers ever, Juventud Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, and it's funny to think. You know, that I really do think you can make an argument that all time. Certainly Ray is, is on the short list of most important wrestlers ever, but I think is probably on the all time, most underrated the dude. And I don't, I don't remember ever seeing him have a bad match and I'm not saying that didn't exist. I'm just saying it felt like whenever he stepped through the ropes, you were about to be entertained.
1: No doubt, man. He, he I, I love that. You said that, you know, he was underrated or is underrated, because I I agree. Now, part of that, I think, is because, you know, he had chemical issues and drug issues and alcohol issues, and he tended to get in his own way and fuck up a lot of times. Not in the ring. Not in the ring. I'm just talking about in general. Um, and he was one of those guys that, you know, I can tell you, from my just my perspective, loved him as a performer. I even liked being around him, you know, but couldn't trust him. And I don't mean... Trust him in the sense of, you know, I would leave my wallet, you know, no, loose no, he, around him. I mean, trust him in terms of not fucking up outside of the ring. How much are you willing to invest in a guy that you know is capable of going out and embarrassing himself and the company that he works for? So you you want to use him, but you don't want to get too committed either because it's just, a you know, the feeling was it's just a matter of time before he does something ridiculous.
0: For what it's worth, Meltzer would say – uh, when he's describing this match in a match that blew away everything on either show. So he's saying that between raw and nitro, uh, this is the best match. And considering the performers, that's really not hard to believe.
1: No, it You would, I guess you would expect that now. Right.
0: Yeah. And now here comes the hot tag to Ray Mysterio and the crowd. I mean, you, you guys had already made Mysterio you know, a, uh, a major star by this point where people knew, Hey, this, this guy can fly. This guy's going to do some really special stuff.
1: Yep. Yep. And we didn't do that for him as much as he did it for himself. You know, we obviously gave him a lot of television time, but that was television time that he earned by, you know, going out there constantly entertaining the audience and having matches that made people's jaws drop. And, um, being able to work with such a wide variety Of people and still have great matches We didn't give that to him We didn't make Rey Mysterio Rey Mysterio made Rey Mysterio
0: Well and you guys made Everybody come see this show Sell out here 9,320 fans 8,499 Of them were paying The gates are over 146,000 Um, I mean everything in this era Is a sellout, though This is not The exception, this is almost the rule. WCW is bringing Nitro to your town. Get your tickets because them shits are selling out.
1: It was a party, you know, and it was unpredictable. You never knew what to expect. That was, and that was by design. That was one of the first things that, you know, was on my list of things that we could do differently in WCW and on Nitro than the WWF at that time was doing. And, And again, I may have talked about this before. You know, the unpredictability or or creating that sense and communicating to the audience consistently week after week after week that you have to tune into Nitro because you never know what's going to happen, which is one of the reasons we didn't spend a lot of time promoting next week's matches. It's not because we didn't necessarily know what next week's matches were going to be or we were incapable of planning that far ahead. It's because we were reacting to research. We had focus groups all over the country, and one of the most consistent things I heard in each one of those focus groups in, in terms of what people liked about professional wrestling, not just WCW, but WWF at the time, you know, WCW or any other wrestling that they were familiar with. And across the boards, and probably 25 different focus groups that we did around the United States in different markets, the one common comment everybody made was i like wrestling because it's unpredictable. And we seized on that. And we wanted that show to be unpredictable. We communicated to people that it was unpredictable. One of the other things that we wanted to communicate to people was that Nitro's really a party. And we did that with the Nitro party promotions that we did. That's how we communicated that and created that sense of man, Nitro's on tonight. We got to get together and watch it. And there we're probably more people watching Nitro in dorms during this college dormitories during this period of time than any other wrestling show. Well, that's obvious because of the ratings, but it became a thing, you know, like Monday night football is a thing, you know, Nitro became a thing, but it was because it was entertaining. It was unpredictable and we provided the kind of action that we're seeing here.
0: Really next level stuff. Look at
1: that. Oh my gosh. I'm just watching what's going on here in the ring. It's just phenomenal. And you would think I can't, you know, I can't tell how long this match was. I'm guessing it was about 12 or 14 minutes. These guys, they look stronger at the end of it than they did in the beginning. They were really, really finished this up strong.
0: Mysterio, you know, did a springboard to the uh, top rope and the, from the middle of the ring. And then, uh, having his balance there jumps down onto the ground. Hurricane Ronis, LaParka further down the aisle. Meanwhile, off the top rope comes the Phoenix Splash, the 450 from uh, Hooventude, and that's going to be your finish. We see a recap here. This looks like a highlight reel from a career, and it's just from this match.
1: Man, these guys were so good. So good.
0: And, you know, a lot of this stuff is sort of, you know, par for course now on a Wednesday night or a Friday night or a Monday night, but it was not in 1997. This was really, truly special.
1: Hmm, And I I don't know, you know, I don't watch much, as much wrestling as you do, but I I don't know that there's anybody out there today that is consistently as good as the four guys that we just saw in the ring. There are guys that are out there that are great, not taking anything away from anybody, but the chemistry, the athleticism, the, the crispness of, of what we just saw in the ring between those four guys. I don't know if, if it's out there, please point me in that direction. Cause I'd like to watch more of it.
0: Uh, up next, we've got Aaron Anderson. Who's going to come out to a huge ovation here as well. He should. And, uh, he's going to break down a little bit at the reaction from this unbelievable Charlotte crowd. And he says something like the wrestling ring is the only place in his adult life. He's felt like he's been at home and the Charlotte observer had run a a big story in their paper that day with Arn Anderson talking about his career ending injury. It's a pretty special little moment that you allowed Arn to have here and programmed for the local crowd here in Charlotte in a major way. You see everybody throwing up the four.
1: Arn's such a class guy. Uh, How's this podcast doing? You guys having fun doing it?
0: We are. Yes, sir. Making a little bit of money now and having fun doing it. And he's getting more comfortable and loosening up. And, uh, I,
1: I predict that is going to be, it it, it may not happen in the next couple months, but I predict that that podcast with you and Arn is going to be one of your more popular podcasts. It may take him six months or so to get there, but you're going to get there.
0: Well, you had a great idea. You said. You know, Arne Anderson talking to a computer is one thing, but Arne Anderson in front of you, you know, drinking a couple of old duels, he's going to make you laugh.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully you'll find a way to do that or at least once in a while, because if you get him in that environment, I mean, the stories he has and his recall, um, the situations he's been in and just, he's such a great storyteller. He really is. And he's funny as hell. You get him on a roll and he's just one of the funniest people you've ever been around.
0: The wit and timing he has means that he's, uh, he's holding court in any sort of group session like that. Maybe backstage at a show or whatever. You know, he's a guy who, uh, who doesn't need business cards. You know, you know, in the wrestling business, you're, you're talking to Arn Anderson and I, uh, I think that's, that's important. You know, when you can establish yourself and become a known entity like that, that just your mere presence and people know, oh, this guy's, this guy's legit. It
1: is, you know, I guess, and I just started thinking about this as we're talking about Arn and I'm looking at him here on camera doing this interview and I can't hear the interview, unfortunately, but you know, one of the things about Arn is he's been so consistent in his character. You know, he 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 may have been a heel and he may have been a babyface, but there really wasn't a lot of difference between the two. Arn had so much credibility and believability, and his promos were so good that it really didn't matter. You know, he could he could play any role, but the the heel version of of an Arn Anderson or the babyface version of an Arn Anderson was something that you had to look for very closely to see the difference because. His, his, his character and his, his delivery was so consistent throughout his entire career. And I think that's one of the reasons why people look up to him, you know, today as much as they do.
0: So he's bringing out his friend, Ric Flair, of course, saying, you know, Kurt Henning, your daddy should have taught you a long time ago better than to do what you did. Of course, talking about attacking Ric Flair at war games and we're setting up Ric Flair and Kurt for Starcade. But right now, Flair's out, and you guys are going to present a check for $15,000 uh, for um, the police officers there in Charlotte.
1: And Doug Dillinger, you know, we didn't reference Doug, but when this scene first opened up and you saw the two police officers there in the ring with Gene Oclin, also standing to Gene's right was Doug Dillinger. Doug Dillinger was our head of security, uh, real close to Dusty Rhodes. I think that's how it Doug ended up in WCW, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but Doug was also uh, a, a local police officer in Charlotte. So that's how this connection all came together. Did you know Doug Dillinger was a cop? I did, yeah. Super nice guy. He's got a hand the side. I mean, you shake hands with Doug Dillinger, and it's like slamming your hand in a car door. He's got one, some of the biggest hands I've ever met. I can, and he was a big guy. Doug was a big guy himself, but he, uh, he, I mean, really the size of his fists they were like Samsonite suitcase. I can't imagine when he was in his prime, what it would be like to tag with a Doug Dillinger by tag. I don't mean in a tag team match, but I mean, out on the street.
0: Sure. Cool little moment here. I know it probably brings, um, I don't know. I guess I'm curious, would you have done this? On TV now, in 2019.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Because it's emotion; it's real emotion. Um, it's a good alignment. It's a good, good cause. It's positive, and it puts all four or, or all uh, six of the people that are in this shot in a very positive light. But it really it did a lot for Rick. It helped Rick in the market, establish him as a babyface even more than he already was, and it was good for Arn. So yeah, I'd do this. And now we're building and now that we've taken care of business, I I can't hear it, but I can see the crowd reacting and I can see Rick's body language. So we went from that very credible, you know, positive moment. And now we're shifting into entertainment.
0: I love that. He slowly slaps the jacket off and says, well, Gene, I needed to be conservative for a minute, slides the jacket off and. Here comes the woo and now he's giving Charlotte what they wanted to say.
1: Well, you can see the people behind Rick. If you're watching, if you're listening to this podcast and you get a chance to watch it at home, go to WWE network, go to the in-ring uh, selection uh, uh, on the menu, go to WCW Nitro and look for 12, But if you're, if you're watching this, you could see when Rick was slowly reaching for that jacket and kind of took it off slowly, the people behind him before Rick even said a word they knew something good was coming and they, they started reacting before Rick started talking. It was awesome.
0: I love the, the big line there. Charlotte can't, uh, the NW can't beat me up in Charlotte. Jack. Woo. It's just, you know, Hey, you may have had me in other places and other towns, but not in my town. You're going to do it here. And the crowd just bites it. Hook, line and sinker. Good stuff. And there's the memorial. It's for uh fallen police officers and their families and, check to, uh, to go towards that. So pretty cool deal and a nice piece of TV. And I guess we should, uh, mention right now that, uh, one of our sponsors this week is Vistaprint. And I got to tell you, Vistaprint was there for me when back, when I first started my business, when I first became a mortgage loan originator, I needed some new business cards, but I didn't have a big budget. I'm just starting out. I went to Vistaprint and man, that was a long time ago you can still do it right now you're still going to look just as professional and you're still going to look you know just as uh as big time and you're still going to have the freedom to sort of design your own look and feel what we're talking about is totally customized professional looking business cards that are very easy to make and most importantly make a great first impression and when i'm passing out business cards from VistaPrint. I know I'm doing more than passing along my my contact information. I'm making a connection. I'm making an impression on a potential business partner or a client or a customer. The right business card helps you make a statement about yourself. It's also going to give you the connection that you need. And the next big opportunity is coming right now. And we're here to help you own the now. How about free shipping on any business card in any quantity? You choose whatever style, whatever finish, whatever shape whatever paper you like, and then you get free shipping. And because you can pick the colors and fonts and designs and images, it means you can create something truly unique and compelling to you as your business. What ready to get started? It's easy. Plug your information and logo into hundreds of fresh designs tailored to your type of company or upload your own original layout. It's really up to you. And again, you pick everything from paper stock, style, quantity, Everything's custom and unique to you. You can even upgrade to a unique touch like rounded corners. And, uh, if you uh, go ahead and order now, you'll receive your cards for free shipping. How about that? Free economy shipping. As if you needed more reasons, you can feel good knowing that Vistaprint uses only carefully selected inks and reasonably sourced paper stocks. Your satisfaction. Well, it's 100% guaranteed or your money back. They'll make it right Vistaprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation, which is why our listeners will get free shipping on all business cards, any style, any quantity, just go to vistaprint.com. Use that promo code 83 weeks for free shipping on all business cards, any style, any quantity limited time offer. Of course, own the now at vistaprint.com. The promo code is 83 weeks. And by the way, Vistaprint is V I S T A P R I N T. And Eric, you and I have both used Vistaprint before. It's fast. It's affordable. Free shipping. It doesn't get getting easier than this.
1: It doesn't get any easier. And Conrad, what model of Rolls Royce is that in your garage?
0: Oh my gosh! Well, you and Bruce both keep saying I have a Rolls. Roy- I don't have a Rolls Royce. Calm down. What? You're both the same. You, uh, he's got five elevators. He's got servants' quarters. He's got a fleet of Rolls Royces. No, I don't. I didn't say you had a fleet. <laughs>
1: But I'm going to take business advice from any man that drives a Rolls Royce. I'll just leave it at that.
0: Listen to this. Go ahead. Check it out. Vistaprint.com. Use your promo code 83 weeks. Uh, you're going to dig it. By the way, you were just out here with JJ Dillon. Uh, of course, you're discussing your match, believe it or not, at, uh, at, uh, at this big show coming up, Starcade. And you have some, uh, some special stakes. You're going to demand that punches and kicks count. And then Dylan says submissions also have to count. I mean, I I understand we've got to just address the match a little bit, but what's the logic here and punches and kicks count. Don't they always count? Well, they're
1: not supposed to, I mean, theoretically in days long gone by, you couldn't use a close fist, right?
0: Yeah. The referee starts counting for nothing and nothing. Oh, to- yeah. look at well, Kimberly. That's roll tide right there. Let's just stop for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good with it. I'll we'll just okay. take a little time let's- out here. This is by the way, another uh, Eric Bischoff creation that I want to give a golf clap to the fucking nitro girls, the unsung heroes of nitro. And,
1: and, and I appreciate you saying that, but I always believe in giving um, props where props are due. It really wasn't my idea. That was Kimberly's idea. Well, I was looking for something, for some way to entertain the crowd during the commercial breaks. And you may or may not remember, uh, I had a DJ uh, yeah. that I was using for a while yep. in Nitro to, to do the same thing. And then it was Kimberly, that, and I was looking for ways to expand upon that and try to make it, again, give Nitro the sense, not just for the television audience, but for the live audience, which is something that's critically important, especially at today's three-hour raw format or even you know a two-hour format it's a long time for the audience to be sitting there through commercial breaks when you're doing live television so i was looking for ways to kind of create some entertainment it was kimberly that actually came up with the idea of the nitro girls and i was fully supportive of it but it wasn't my ideal
0: you tried a few different uh djs at different times did you not like ricky rackman and
1: well ricky rackman was a one-off uh people may not remember ricky rackman but he was a, a very popular DJ in the Los Angeles market, and just someone that I had, you know, become friendly with. I don't remember how I met him, but uh, he at the time, he was a pretty cool dude. He, he was a little controversial. I think he married a porn star. can't remember which one. Hmm. Um, not that that matters at all, but uh, we used Ricky Rackman, but that was more once in a while, kind of one offs, whenever he was available. And then we used. The most successful DJ that we used was a guy by the name of DJ Ram, who was really, really fun to work with and a really, really positive guy. It brought a lot to the show.
0: Oh, Lord. I just had to look up Ricky Rackman, and it's not just all any porn star. It's Janine Lindemolder. Who's yeah. that? She was the girl on the cover of the Blink 182 album. She had. Oh, okay. Yeah, now I remember. She had a sex tape leak with. uh, Vince Neal once upon a time, but she was famous for being one of like vivid cover girls in the nineties. Uh, but she was like lesbian only. And then she hooked up with that dude who made the bikes. Oh, Jesse James and Jesse James. And then he left her for Sandra Bullock, I think. And it was a whole, yeah. It's a weird, she has a weird history. She's been in a couple of documentaries and I think she's had some challenges at different times. Now she's just covered head to toe in tattoos and unrecognizable. If you were a fan of hers in the nineties, like I was real time.
1: <laughs> I knew you'd know the answer to that. That's no, why I threw it out. there. I, the did, I, I didn't.
0: I had to Google it. Cause she didn't, I mean that, that connection, I don't know much about Ricky right so I was just Googled Ricky right porn star. And I'm like, well, no whammy, no whammy, no whammy. And Jean, Jeanine popped up. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm very familiar. Uh, he's a lucky man.
1: Yep. Yeah, and that might've been at the peak of her career. I, I think I met her once. I think he brought her to a show. In fact, I know he did, and that was when she was first starting to kind of tat herself up, and I don't mean to – I'm not even going to say what I was about to say. No matter how I say it, it's going to come off wrong. Fuck (laughs) it. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to provide an open forum and the ammunition for people to bust my balls for the next seven days on Twitter because I said something I shouldn't say. So fuck you. I'm not going to do
0: it. Hey, we should tell everybody, uh, one of the fun little anecdotes from, uh, your visit for no holds barred Christmas weekend, where one night you and the missus, Mrs. B, uh, retired to bed after dinner and the party kept going. So you start creeping downstairs about 5. AM and we pass each other in the hall and you're like, you get up this early. And my response was, hell no, I'm
1: going to bed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it and by the way, it was 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, I, re- I remember because I was saying, okay, I've got to be really quiet. I, I got up. I looked at my phone. and It was like 4.30 or 4.28 when I was getting out of bed. I thought, i got to be really quiet because I'm sure everybody was up late. They're probably all sleeping. I don't want the dogs to bark. I, I don't want to wanna step on anything that breaks. I'm going to just be as quiet as I can be. So I got up. I didn't want to wake up Mrs. B. So I got dressed, quiet as I possibly could. Then I opened up the door ever so gently, so that it didn't make any noise. And I'm creeping down the hall like a fat ass ninja, right? And I'm making my way downstairs, and I see Conrad walking through. He still got his jeans on. He's, hey, dude! Said, hey, dude! What are you doing still up? <laughs> No, I said that. I said, I didn't know you got up this early. (laughs) Don't. Going to bed. Wow. Long live. I couldn't do it. Yeah, we uh, were
0: burning the midnight
1: oil that day. And then I got up, and here's what's funny. I get up, and I go downstairs. You know, you've got a really nice TV room down there next to your man cave and your really cool little bar right down the hall from the elevator that if you keep going down that hall and it takes you out to the garage where you can see the Rolls Royce. And <laughs> <laughs> and as I'm as I'm quietly sitting, you know, in the television room and I turn the TV on, but I don't want to turn it on too loud. And I'm deaf as I'm 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 i real hard of hearing, so I've got to turn the T V up loud. But I thought, no, I don't want to do that. And I look over and there's this like long Yeah, I thought it was a vibrator at first i thought it was like a dildo and it's sitting right on the table and i'm thinking what in the world were these guys doing last night what kind of presents did they give each other this is crazy so i went over to, i looked at it and it was a tube of venison sausage so there you go
0: yeah michael dawkins brought a ton of venison with him and i think you and mrs b even left with a cooler full
1: We did, and I wanted to shout out to Michael Dawkins, number one. Great attorney. If you need a a trademark attorney, he's your guy, number one. Number two, the venison that he gave Mrs. B and I, we got into it right away when we got home, and it was fantastic. What a treat.
0: By the way, we're in for a treat now. On screen, we've got Scott Hall, who cut a great promo. They go to commercial. They come back. And Chris Jericho's at the top of the ramp, makes his way down. This is before Jericho is the heel Jericho, but what a great match here. And man, he just sold that chokeslam like crazy. And of course he's mocking the big show now. I always loved Scott Hall, Chris Jericho matches. I felt like Scott gave Jericho a lot at a time when he really didn't have to. He did,
1: but that's because he, you know, he didn't obviously have a crystal ball and didn't know what kind of a talent that Chris would go on to become, Uh, but at the same time, he respected the the talent that he had at this point enough that he wanted to work extra hard to make Chris look extra good. That's one of the, you know, people can say what they want about Scott Hall, but if you had the goods, meaning if you could go out there and work and you were going to put in the time and you were going to do what you needed to do, he was going to go the extra mile to try to make you look as good as you possibly could. And he's doing that right here in this match. Scott Hall, great talent. Everybody recognized him: Diamond Stud, you know, Razor Ramon, NWO, Scott Hall, different, you know, personas throughout his career. Uh, but when when he was at the top of his game, there was nobody better, nobody. Look at this character. I mean, he is so good. And I, I, I want to say this. You know, it's a holiday season. I think it's time, time of year. You know, we you start feeling good, and you want to. You know, bring out the best, I guess, in each other. or Yourself, I'll speak for myself at least. Um, Scott Hall, today, I, I have as I have as much or more respect for Scott Hall today than I do almost anybody else I've worked with. Um, not because of, not because of the fact he was such a great worker during the peak of his career. Not because of all the things that he's accomplished. Not for any other reason than what he's overcome. And not going to get into it here. This isn't the time or the place, but for decades and decades and decades, Scott Hall had demons that many of us wouldn't have been able to handle. Probably most of us wouldn't be able to handle. And he's been able to overcome them. He's not 100%, you know, perfect. And he, he, he stumbles every once in a while or stubs his toe. But he's genuinely one of the people that I enjoy being around and respect the most. He's a, He's a good
0: person. Oh man, I love these, the Nitro Party videotapes. Whose idea was this? This is great stuff.
1: That was my idea. I mean, I, I I will take credit for the things I should take credit for, and this this was an idea that, and it started out. This was the funny part of it. This it started out as a gimmick, right? We would go and we, you know, we'd find people to make it look like they were having a party, and we'd we'd film it, but we produced it from beginning to middle to end. And then we would put it up because we would make it look like it was something that somebody had sent in, right? That was the idea. We were <laughs> we were creating the illusion that there were nitro parties happening all over the country. And then I started s- suggesting to people as part of making it feel real. Hey, and if you're throwing a nitro party, send us your videotape. Well, about four weeks later, we started getting flooded with people producing their own nitro parties and videotape and sending it in. And then we started airing those. It was awesome. And the most interesting one I ever got, Conrad, was a video of a nitro party from Brown University. And it was a bunch of postgraduate students who were working on their PhDs uh, in biology or some kind of advanced medicine. And yet (laughs) these doctors and, you know, Brown University postgraduate students were all sitting around having a Nitro party. It was awesome. That's that's elevating your audience. That's that's building and elevating an audience right there.
0: I love the old the preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. And how, how about this? Larry's out, Bobby Heenan's in. God damn, I love Bobby Heenan.
1: He was the best. Miss him
0: miss him a lot.
1: Miss his sense of humor, miss his talent, miss his believability. And I really miss, I miss his storytelling at the bar after the show. Oh, this does not look good.
0: Yeah. Mongo is supposed to wrestle here. Um you're gonna love maybe you won't. Stephen Michael was supposed to wrestle Ming. Thankfully, that never happened. This comes from a theme server. <laughs> I love Steve as a, as a person in real life, as a guy to belly up to the bar with and have some drinks and bullshit. And he has a, a funny philosophy about life and, well, pretty much everything. But you got to assume, like, one of the specific torture devices that we could use would be to just force people sort of, clockwork orange style to watch mongo mcmichael matches wow that's so cold. like waterboarding or mongo matches just you know take your pick motherfucker either way you're tapping out give us the information
1: (laughs) brutal conrad you're brutal
0: come on that's funny no
1: it's mean. Oh, it's just Mean. It's Christmas time. You, th- you threw mean.
0: coffee on Eddie Guerrero. Don't tell
1: me it's mean. I didn't throw coffee on Eddie Guerrero. See, that's a kind of nonsense. It's <laughs> a kind of bullshit narrative that continues to exist because of comments like that. I didn't throw coffee at Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero. I threw coffee on the ground while I was in a heated argument with Eddie Guerrero and it splashed on him. There's a massive difference A massive difference between throwing a cup of coffee at somebody, which could be considered in most courts as assault, or just getting angry and frustrated and throwing a cup of coffee on the ground and it splattering on somebody. Those are two different things. Let's be clear. There, I feel better. What happened here, Conrad? I was was in the middle of a rant.
0: So, uh, Goldberg laid out Mongo and now Goldberg's coming to the ring instead. Goldberg. Why did he,
1: why did he lay out Mongo?
0: What was the reason for that? Well, they're, they're battling over, they got football beef, you see. Oh yeah. He's a bear and he's a Falcon. God damn it. That'll do it. Did you see, uh, Goldberg on the uh, latest, uh, Broken skull session on the uh, network, him and Steve Austin sitting down to chop it up. I did not.
1: I'm going to see it probably this weekend. I'd like to like to see it. And, uh, I want to hear Steve's new show since he's been on WWE. I haven't, haven't been able to hear it yet.
0: How is it? Oh, watch the undertaker one. If you watch the Goldberg one, you may get injured, but watch the undertaker one. It's real good. I may get injured. Yeah. 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 Why would I get injured? Well, I was nervous for Austin when I heard he'd be in the same room with Goldberg. I mean, everybody Goldberg touches, he gives a concussion to or whatever.
1: <laughs> Ooh. See, there you go again. I'm kind of the grinch. Somebody asked me the other day, I did the uh, the after 83 week show with Christy Olson on YouTube. And she said, So, since you were at the No Holds Bar Christmas party with Conrad Thompson, let me ask you a couple Christmas like questions, Christmas themed questions. And he said, Of all the people at that party, Who would most likely, you know, be considered the Grinch? Oh, you said maybe? I I said, look, everybody at that party was super chill. We were all having fun. You know, it was really laid back. It was really fun. So it's hard for me to say, but I think deep down inside, Conrad Thompson probably has the potential (laughs) to be more Grinch-like than anybody else in that party.
0: Not in real life, just on the
1: show. No, were well, you're burying people here over the Christmas holidays, you're burying Bill Goldberg,
0: you're burying Steve McMichael, you're just burying people. And I don't oh, get that for entertainment purposes on the show. By the way, I need Kimberly to do that. Arsenio hall, whoop, whoop move a little more, a little more, a little more often. Yeah. She did a real good job with that. Let's get some more of the Arsenio hall. Whoop, whoop moves. These girls are pretty good. Dude, this is like, this is the best night show ever.
1: <laughs> ah. Well,
0: from a nitro girl perspective, this might maybe, be the best nitro
1: ever. You might be right on that.
0: Now, it, what's funny is you know we say some silly, outrageous things here on the show sometimes, guys. We're just trying to entertain you. That's not everything yes, in real life. Steve's great. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, Goldberg is too. But it's a gimmick that I shit on. Brutus the Barber. No, dude. Goldberg.
1: No. Goldberg's not. He's not. <laughs>
0: Makes it better. Thank you. Uh, That's a fun thing you guys used to do. When Conan would come out, you would do like the 1960s version of the Batman villain angle with the camera and just tilt it to the side a little bit. I loved it. I, I just wish occasionally, you know, Conan would have done like the fake punch at the screen and you would have done pow, bam. God, I wish I would have had that idea back then.
1: That would have been fun.
0: Conan, for whatever reason, was just born cool. And, you know, even if there were certain members of the NWO that weren't cool, as it's been nicknamed in the Dirt Sheets, the B Team NWO, when Conan was with them, he sort of lent them his credibility and they became a little less lame, a little more cool. To
1: to a degree, not unlike Sean Waltman.
0: Yeah, you know, I would agree. I, I've
1: said this before. Sean Sean just brought a quality, an attitude, a persona, whatever it was. He brought something that was so unique uh, that it really added value. He didn't get diluted by Hogan, Hall, and, and Nash. He, he actually made them a little bit stronger because of his edge. And I think Conan definitely, without question, fell into the same category. Conan, you know, wasn't the best worker, you know, all of the, you know, all of the things that most, you know, hardcore wrestling loyal loyalists that spend too much time, you know, on chat rooms or reading dirt sheets, you know, they all judge people by their work rate. And while Conan may not have had, you know, the highest work rate factor amongst the people that he worked with, he probably uh in terms of charisma and character probably outranked most of them i mean he just he really brought you know he was a good worker he was a solid worker he was believable when he needed to be and wanted to be but the character that he brought to the ring uh, and the credibility more than anything made up for it
0: you know now feels uh like just as good a time as any to remind everybody that you all know The risks of driving drunk, you could get in a crash. People could get hurt or killed. Let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the U S die every day in alcohol impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes, even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Many people are unaware that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. Not so harmless after all, is it? And get this, between 07 and 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled. The truth is, driving while high is deadly. So stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from drugs or alcohol, don't get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Drive sober or get pulled over. And, uh, in the ring here, we see the Steiner brothers. We've got Rick Steiner in there right now with Scott Norton. Ooh, that was bad. Ooh, Rick Steiner, um, lands on his head after a botched power slam effort from Scott Norton, but he's right back up and they're back in the thick of things. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Scott see, had to do that himself. Head. Yeah.
1: I think he got his bell rung there just a little bit when he hit the map.
0: Something you, WWE started doing a few years ago that now I think referees all across the world have adopted is when somebody takes a spill like that, the referee will go over and sort of put his hand in the, in the performer's hand. So the performer who just maybe accidentally got dropped on their head can just squeeze his hand back, to let them know, Hey, I'm okay. And if there's no squeeze, the referee knows, Hey, we may have a problem. But in this era with Mickey J here, that protocol didn't exist. So nobody's checking on Rick. They just go right back into another move.
1: There's some beef in that. This one, this isn't clicking between Norton and
0: Rick is loopy here. Rick needs to tag out and let Scott do some stuff here, but he's, he's yet, I guess the story is, you know, they're going to cut the ring off and let the heels get the heat, but we need to call an audible here. Scott needs to get in the ring. Rick is sluggish. He's not himself.
1: No, even that. I mean, he's he is definitely hurting here.
0: Yeah, he ain't there.
1: And he I tell you what, Rick Steiner's got to be physically one of the toughest people that I know. I mean, he's got a head like a cinder block, which everybody in that ring does right now. And you look at Norton, you look at Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner, and even Conan. You know, he, he, these are four guys that could definitely take a shot.
0: I was going to ask you, you know, these are four of the biggest badasses Maybe ever in the history of wrestling. I mean, you know, obviously there's exceptions like Haiku here or there, but I mean, you wouldn't want to be in a in a dark alley with any four of these guys. My goodness, no. I mean, Scott Steiner's crazy. Rick Steiner would tie you up like a pretzel. Conan just knows some shit, and Scott Norton could pick you up and fucking break you in half and dump you out.
1: Scott Norton is twice as strong as he looks. And he looks really strong.
0: Yeah. The, the term barrel chested exists. And then you meet Scott Norton. You realize, oh no, that's what it really is. He's keg chested. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no doubt about it.
0: How is Conan like in the middle of everything wrestling always for decades? Like right now he works for like a dozen companies.
1: He's a political animal and he's smart. And he's talented, and he brings value. You know, I don't know why we would be surprised. He's not ready to—he's not ready to hang it up yet. Ooh, ooh! Just saw that replay of that uh, attempted power slam. That was not pretty. Here we're going to get another look at it. Watch this. Uh. Rick got to him too fast. Scott didn't have his balance by the time. Rick Right on
0: his head. My goodness.
1: Yeah. No, the timing was just off there and Rick got to Scott before Scott was planted. He was still getting his feet underneath him when Rick hit him.
0: Ugh. I hate to see that. We should mention, uh, since we've got Bret Hart's segment coming up here before you know it. Um, I do want to, uh, sort of recap what Brett, had to say about this. He says, I made my WCW debut the next day at a sold out nitro in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was a bit surprised that it didn't feel that much different than a WWF show. WCW was loaded with hardworking Mexican boys. I've never been much of a Lucha Libre fan until I saw the dedication and effort those wrestlers put in every night. In particular, I love the amazing work of young Rey Mysterio Jr a mass lightweight Mexican who could spin through up and over the ropes with backflips and beautiful dives and rolls. In my opinion, he is the most talented Mexican wrestler there ever has been. I felt much respect for all the Mexican boys as they came to me and shake my hand. Paul white, the new giant of wrestling at seven foot two and 400 pounds lumbered up to say hello. And there were old timers like Roddy Piper and Ric Flair and great young talent, including a powerhouse Booker T and from the Stampede category or territory, Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. Even Miss Elizabeth was there, now working as Lex Luger's valet. Kurt Hannon gave me a big warm smile and a slap on the back, and I felt honored to shake Rick Rude's hand. He'd been at a taped Raw on November 17th, which aired on November 24th, just as he walked out live on Nitro. This was the first and only time a wrestler appeared for both organizations on TV at the same time. Raw was taped on alternate weeks from the live nitros and Bischoff would give out the results on raw matches before they aired and rude walked out and delivered a well-spoken monologue about the rights and wrongs of professional wrestling. And he said it was wrong for Sean to claim he was the world champion when Vince had cheated me out of the title. A lot of wrestlers were disgusted by what Vince had done in Montreal, but Rick rude was one of the few who actually quit the WWF for good over it. So, you know, we're going to get to, uh, the actual segment uh, here in just a few minutes here on the show. But Brett would write uh, of his segment now that first night in the WCW dressing room in Charlotte I also met Steve Borden known as sting. The hardworking pioneer of WCW was a well-built born again, Christian with long, dark hair who worked with a white painted face gimmick based on the movie the crow for his entrance. He was lowered from the rafters on a steel cable He'd been famous for his scorpion deathlock long before I ever came up with my own variation of the sharpshooter. And Brett would say I was bedazzled enough by that sold-out night show for the first time I felt that WCW might actually work out for me. I had a great first interview and got a good pop when I said, "Nobody knows better than me what it's like to get screwed by a referee." That comment set me up to referee Hogan's world title match with Sting at Starrcade '97 in Washington D.C. on December 28th. Personally, I thought appearing as a referee would be a lackluster debut, but what did I know and what did I care? I wanted to comply to do whatever they asked me to the best of my ability, win, lose, or draw, and then pick up my check and come home safe. Nobody would accuse me of taking this business too seriously ever again. Did you ever have a conversation like that with Brett? Because Brett, for better or worse, has always had a reputation, at least in his WWF run, as taking himself too seriously. I mean, Scott Hall would even be famous for saying Brett was the or $400,000 world champion. The concept being he didn't care how much money he made as long as he was champion and other folks would poke fun at Brett for his house, sort of being a shrine to himself, where he's got all of his movie covers and action figures and you know, magazines, and he's just got a lot of his memorabilia from his career, adorning the walls of his own house some people thought mm, that's a little much he takes himself too seriously did he indicate to you that he was going to change his approach here and that he realized he had been taking it too seriously or did you ever have such a conversation
1: never had a conversation remotely like that you know i and i, and I want to say because i know it's it's so much easier to you know dig up the things that he said about me in the past or others in wcw or things that I've said about him in the past. That's all stuff that we can stir the, you know, the audience up with and get people to react to and all that. But, um, my, at this point, you know, my relationship with Brett and the conversations that we had up until this point were really solid. I mean, to me, Brett, when I say solid, I mean, grounded. Um, Brett was probably just in terms of my conversations with him and my dealings with him and my impressions of him at that time uh, was that he was one of the most grounded you know normal people that I did business with you know when, when when we did talk we very rarely talked about wrestling you know when we weren't in the arena or specifically on the phone talking about a match that was coming up or somebody was laying out but when we did talk you know Brett Brett's a big fan of history Native American history uh, in particular we uh, had a lot of similar interests uh, outside of wrestling so at this point you know in our relationship most of the conversations that I had with Brett were about as normal as any conversation I've ever had with anybody there was there was a hit that I'm not gonna you know sugarcoat this uh, really you know Brett was probably more affected uh, by what happened in Montreal than I think a lot of people, Felt he should have been. It was a horrible thing. It was a bad thing. It was a, you know, completely, you know, horrible situation and all that. But once it's over, it's over. You know, you got to kind of move on and, you know, look for something positive to do next. And Brett had a hard time letting that go. He was carrying that around with him, and it was it was pretty obvious in a lot of conversations that we had.
0: Booker T tearing it up right now with uh the macho man and the flock is seated front row and by the way this is 1997 booker t still a part of harlem heat booker t but you could tell even here man this guy's got the look and work to be a big time star
1: so much so such a great guy to work with he is i i, I you know, I know I catch myself saying this all the time, and I, I I need to be more careful about how I say things. Of all of the people that I've really, really enjoyed working with, and there are many of them, Booker T is at you know in the top three on that list. He's just number one. He's such a pro, and he's always looking for a positive way to in- to, to, to address a negative situation, whether it's a match that he's, that we're proposing to, we were proposing to him at the time or an interview or whatever it was, his approach to things was always really positive. And most of the time, you know, a very contagious laugh uh, populated most of the conversations that, that you would have with him. Just a great guy to be around and an amazing talent, really athletic guy. Yeah, Selling mean, his ass off right here for Randy Savage.
0: Well, he knows, you know, what this means. I mean, he's got to know what it means. Look at that. A fan trying to do a run in Savage kicks the shit out of him and the police swarm him. Hey, today's the bad day to do this. They got the entire police staff there. And we just, and we just gave so, him 15 grand. They're going <laughs> to kick your ass, buddy. What are you doing? You'd have been better
1: off with Randy. <laughs>
0: How about that spin kick? You see Booker T checking it out on the corner of his eye, man. That was a little excitement there all of a sudden, wasn't it? Yeah, that was cool.
1: Yeah, the- Randy, Randy didn't miss a beat either.
0: Let that be a lesson to you guys and girls. If if you, watch you're, if you're at a live wrestling show, especially on TV and it's not, you know, entertaining and it's, it's dragging a little bit, just jump the guardrail, jump in the fucking ring. You know, let, let listen, to you. <laughs> listen to you. Listen to you. Don't
1: (laughs) ladies, gentlemen, men, women, children on all four corners of the globe. Do not listen to my co-host here. Do not jump into the ring just to get attention or because you're bored or because you've had too much to drink or you're trying to impress your friends at home. Do not do that because you will get your ass kicked and then you get arrested. That's yeah. the best part. You get your ass kicked. Then you go to jail.
0: Yeah. But you know what? might be cool if you did. I mean, cool for, but, cool no. for the people watching, not cool for the
1: people that were a person that was dumb enough to do it.
0: I'm just saying, don't you want to trend on Twitter? Don't you want to make the show entertaining? Listen I mean, to you. You, you sick to- fuck. You're trying to get people's
1: butts kicked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> come on i'm just kidding around do not do that they will kick your ass you will have some paperwork involved it's not a good call a macho man finished him off here a little help for miss elizabeth who was uh either booker t was out of space or out of place or liz was she came scurrying around to the other side in those high heels to make sure she tugged on his leg and he didn't get to just jump off smooth but not enough to finish the Macho Man. Macho Man picks up the win. Big deal though to have a singles match with the Macho Man for uh a, essentially a tag wrestler here at Booker T. He's still so early in his run. By the way, we've got uh a Crispin Wall match coming up. He's gonna be taking on a friend of the show, Scotty Riggs. But first, more Nitro Girls.
1: Oh, Nitro Girls and Fedoras. That's pretty cool. Is this
0: their smooth criminal routine? It is so cool. Yeah. We need more of this. I don't think you we can should, do this in 2019, but I mean, there's cheerleaders for every sports. Franchise. Why couldn't you do this in 2019? For God's sake. Oh, those fucking, the wrestling Twitter people will come for you. Oh, fuck them.
1: They're just, <laughs> they're just looking for something to bitch about. There is nothing wrong. I mean, do you watch music videos? Do oh. you watch the NBA? Do we watch the NFL? I mean, do you watch The Voice? I mean, come on. There are dancing girls everywhere. Why is having girls dancing on a wrestling show considered to be inappropriate or uncool
0: for any part of a wrestling show? I don't get that. Let me try this, Eric. Let me just try this. I'll see what happens. If you, All right, girls. All four of you who are listening. I need you girls <laughs> to get together and let's do a flash mob in the middle of SmackDown and let's have you girls time it where you jump in the ring right before they're about to get started. And then you just do a dance routine, just like what we've seen. And, you know, we, we freestyled several months ago here on the show that maybe there should be, you know, the SmackDown gals or something like that. Well, well, damn it. We can still make it happen. Eric doesn't have to be there for it to happen. You can do it in his honor. Just slide in there on, on live on TV on Friday and when they take you backstage, tell Bruce, we said, hello. <laughs> I
1: would just say, Yeah. Right before
0: they take you out in handcuffs. Oh, by the way, I, I can't believe I I buried the lead here. We've got some phenomenal shirts over at Eric Bischoff.com for one. I'm a big fan of, uh, unfuck withable, which we've talked about as a word that describes Ron Simmons a lot. It's one of the cooler shirts that we've got, but then we have got a straight out of Compton inspired shirt that says straight out of catering. Which if you're a fat guy like me, this is a great shirt. Uh, and there's even one that has a new Japan inspired twist. Instead of the lion in the middle, it's a caricature of, uh, Eric Bischoff. Instead of king of sports, new Japan pro wrestling. It's king of catering, Eric Bischoff, 83 weeks. We've also got a king of the ring inspired king of catering. Yes. King of catering. But the two that I know you're going to love the most, Eric. One is, uh, a, the, the drawing of you and it says, Bish, please which is pretty good. And then one that looks like a wooden sign with a donkey on it. And it says Eric's donkey show where the big boys play.
1: I got to get that.
0: <laughs> What's well, great is behind the scenes. I sent Eric this graphic and, and he immediately replied, my God. You got to check this out. Eric's Donkey Show, where the big boys play. Check it out right now. com.
1: While we're um, watching here, I'm checking my settings because I've just lost my audio in my headphones, and I want to make sure that, for whatever reason, that doesn't affect the um, audio input, which is my voice. So bear with me for just a minute.
0: No big deal. While you're trying to uh, troubleshoot, we're checking out Scotty Riggs. Trying to pull the hair out of Chris Benoit. He just changed the setting there. It sounds back to normal on my end. Speaking of hair, Charles Robinson wearing it out here. He looks like, I don't know. That almost looks like a different person from the Charles Robinson. We know now,
1: where are you at time code wise?
0: he may have gotten a little taller. Uh, I'm at uh one hour, 36, 08, 09, 10, 11 snapmare, snapmare by Chris Benoit at one thirty six seventeen. 17.
1: 18? All right, I'm at 13644. This is as close as we're going to get. By the way, I can say sound, make myself sound really smart here by, by being able to predict what's going to happen next <laughs> only because I'm running about 15 <laughs> seconds ahead of you. I love the I uh, bet you I bet you right now Chris Benoit, I think he, no, he's going to take a shot to the midsection. Oh, look, there he's doing it.
0: It's almost like you're you're interviewing for a job here the way you're predicting everything. Like you're, you're, you I know, want, right? You're going to be like a uh A dirt sheet writer before you know it. Here's what I think is going to happen,
1: but you know, things can change. (laughs) Let me cover my ass.
0: What's Scotty Riggs doing now? Do you know? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, but I know, I know he listens to our show and he doesn't miss an episode of, uh, of Arne Anderson's show either. So he's a big podcast. I think he's, I think he's in Florida because occasionally he'll post pictures of the beach.
1: This is where – and I'm still in Florida. I'm going to be in Florida until at least the middle of January. And this is, I think, where probably more wrestlers live in Florida than any other state in the United States. Well, I guess I know why. Number one, the weather's great. Number two, there's no state income tax. There's you know, two major – three major airports. So I I get why everybody lives here. But can you think of another state that is the home of more wrestlers than Florida?
0: Mm -hmm. I can't. No, it's got to be, well, a few reasons. One, the climate. Two, state taxes. And three, I recently learned that you can be sued and they can't take your house. I mean, OJ Simpson.
1: They took everything that man owes, but they weren't able to take his house. You, you can That's the one thing that they can't take, no matter what you do. You could go out and, and commit one of the most heinous crimes against somebody, and they could sue you for everything that you have. and They won't get your house if you have one in Florida.
0: So there you go, boys and girls. You learn something new every day.
1: Yep. And then, but the no state income tax thing is a big thing to me. We don't have any state income tax in Wyoming either, which is one of the reasons I was excited to move there. There's no state income tax in Tennessee. There's no state income tax in Texas. There's no state income tax in South Dakota, I think. There's a couple places where there are no state income tax. But I think the combination of no state income tax and, and the weather is probably what does it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like the weather better in California, but the tax is
1: crazy. The The weather in California, Southern California weather is the best. I'm not going to lie. I love Southern California when it comes to the weather. There's a lot of things I don't like about Southern California. Um, but taxes are at the top of the list. It is the most expensive state to do business in. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's worse than New York. It's horrible. It's horrible doing business in California.
0: Can you believe that uh, that guy, closed Tory Wilson, it's hard to imagine, I know, right? You just how
1: did that happen? What were the what were the conditions? What were the variables? What was it about Billy Kidman that Tory Wilson found so attractive? How, and I'm not knocking, you know, hey, Billy Kidman is a super guy. Super guy. Good-looking guy too, I guess by most people's standards, but damn Tory Wilson. Come on.
0: Man, I was, re- ex- I was
1: really thats sp- the that's extra special hot sauce.
0: It's kind of cool to see Van Hammer actually show up to a booking here.
1: See, there you go again. Christmas spirit out the fucking window. It's <laughs> <Just> gone. <laughs> gone. Shift right Now, who are we going to bury next? Who can we make fun of next?
0: Oh, there'll be somebody. Uh, sure. Sure there will. Probably be me probably i mean but it's it's an oldie but a goodie people love when i bust your balls and you wig out and we start screaming it's good stuff
1: but i don't wig out as much anymore do i
0: i know it's not the same i I, I try to
1: i I try so hard i try to control myself you're making me a better person despite the (laughs) fact that you despite the fact that you're being a dick you're making me a better person in the process
0: trial by fire baby
1: so this is smoky, smoky, scary sting.
0: And you know what? This is the best thing, man. You talk about such a character change. When you really think about the vibrant, full of color, blonde hair, flat top surfer sting to this one, that could not be more different. But I mean, those two contrasts, I don't know that we've really talked about that, but you look at the, uh, the neon sting to this black and white sting and then you look at the red and yellow Hulk Hogan and you look at NWO Hulk Hogan or Hollywood Hogan. There are some similarities there where it's just, man, that's a one eighty. I get it. Uh so this is the uh the big moment. JJ Dillon is going to uh address the situation and and bring out Bret Hart and I think you're gonna show up here as well.
1: What's it, what, what's going through my mind right now? Do you know? Did you have you seen this? Because I haven't watched this in advance. I like to I like to react spontaneously to what I see, so I don't watch them in advance of doing them.
0: You're doing some weird stuff here because you're going to come out and you're going to start talking about you know seven seven point five million dollars per year and weekends off on Ted's money. So you're really pushing that, like um, Gene welcomes Brett to Nitro and. Brett says, uh, took a long time to get here, but it's great to be here. It's great to be in Ric Flair country. And the whole concept with the, the special referee for the match is what you were talking about earlier about, you know, kicks and punches be allowed. So this is a special guest referee for Zabisco Bischoff. I think most people in hindsight think, Oh, Brett was the special referee for the main event. No, it's about Zabisco Bischoff and, um, Brett is promo would acknowledge where he's at, saying it's great to be in Ric Flair country. And Brett says something like, if you're looking for a referee, is that what you want? A referee? I'd be honored to referee this match. And you said something like, yo, Brett, 7.5 million a year of Ted Turner's money, you, me for life. And Brett says to you, he looks pretty happy. And you say something like. Do what you can, win if you can, or I'm sorry. He says, do what you can, win if you can, but don't look to me for any help because nobody knows better than I do what it's like to get screwed over by a referee. So you're on your own Jack. And then you repeat Brett 7.5 million a year weekends off Brett and Brett walks
1: away. Hmm. By the way. So, er- so my care, my heel character was looking for someone to give me an edge in my match against the and who other than to to go after a referee that knows what it's like to be screwed So I and, and give him seven and a half million dollars? So I, I, I get it. I understand the
0: premise. Are you high on life, or did you do a couple of rails before you come out on this segment? No, I was high on life. You're fucking jumping around like you're coked up here.
1: No, it wasn't my thing. Never was.
0: You're, like, in the best mood in this segment. These shit-eating grins and these facials. And It was a Christmas season, and we were, com- we were coming into the holidays. We were
1: outperforming the WWE by a mile. We were setting the tone. We were changing the industry. We were breaking all kinds of records. We were selling out everything that we did. So, of course, I was. But, man, I do look a little goofy here, don't I? <laughs>
0: I love you're like, dismiss, dismiss. Well, fuck. I don't remember that day, but looking at me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: want to fucking I'm bouncing around like a 12-year-old kid. I think I really wanted to hit AJ or uh, JJ. I mean, I dude, still, I still do. I mean, JJ's got a face. You just want to punch. Look at you. What are you doing? When Brett comes out wearing a leather jacket just like me. That's so cool.
0: Gimmick infringement.
1: No, that's so cool. And I, I appreciated Brett coming out there and paying his respect to me the way he did by wearing a leather jacket just like mine.
0: Sure. I, I mean, that's what I'll take it as. Yep. Yep. Look at me.
1: Eric's so happy. He's jumping up and down like a 12-year-old kid.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. We got to come up with a, an Eric Bischoff doll next year in time for Christmas. We don't need elf on a shelf. We need you know, <laughs>
1: Eric Bischoff with a nose full. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. Didn't happen. Just having fun. Didn't happen. Look at you. Do the old Notre Dame shit to the crowd. You're just wired up, man.
1: Well, I did that a lot. I did, that was that was kind of my gimmick. That and pointing to my
0: dimples. That's outstanding. I did, You know what I just realized? What's up, bud? You're doing your best Jimmy Hart impression here.
1: Oh my God! You are
0: such a dick. No, but I mean, he jumped around, baby. I mean, that's, you just got to do that. Get that high pitched Mickey Mouse shit going, and you're there. I couldn't. I, I couldn't get my voice to squeak like that. If you put my nuts in a
1: vice, I couldn't get my voice that high.
0: Well, I know what I'm trying next time you stop through.
1: <laughs> Let's just here. see. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. What would happen?
0: You, me, Ted Turner's money for life. Brett was you know
1: Brett was so cool here. He never changed expression once. No, I don't oh, he caught me. Just when I thought I had Brett in the palm of my hand, just when I thought he was going to buy that $7.5 million bullshit, he pumps the brakes. Uh Uh-oh. Eric Bischoff could be in trouble in his match against Larry Zabisco. Just when you think you had Brett Hart right where you wanted him and you had complete control of the situation, Eric – He pulls the rug out from underneath you and throws a giant fucking monkey wrench into your plans. Oh, shit. Larry Zbysko's going to kick my ass. That's what I'm thinking right now. Unless Unless I can fix this. Unless I can resolve this problem. I'm in a world of trouble. How's that for color commentary on my own frame of mind? Brett's just looking at me like I'm crazy. I wonder what Brett was really thinking at this moment.
0: Uh I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. <laughs> a lot. I mean he's getting the the richest contract of his career and he's gonna referee a match between Larry Zabisco and Eric Bishop. Look at your pose. Look at the way you- <laughs> Listen. The-
1: I was one of the best characters going. You have to admit it. Oh, I'm not. It's, it's hard for me to say that
0: with a straight face, but it's true. You are a great television character without question. You know, which is one of the reasons I think when you went back to WWE earlier this year, a lot of people were like, oh, they're going to bring him in on screen because you did such a good job at it.
1: Yeah, but that was 20 some odd years ago. I'm a little outside of the demo nowadays, if you know what I mean. How many how many sixty-four-year-old people do you think wrestling fans want to watch on television?
0: How old's Hulk Hogan?
1: Uh, with that exception.
0: A Ric Flair 70. Uh okay. Another exception. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, when I think of, you know, old time elderly gentlemen who people want to see on TV, it's like Vince McMahon, Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair. Old
1: time elderly?
0: Elderly? Bro, you're AARP. Like when you were in town, everywhere we went, I let you drive because we got to park closer. We did have you mucker, eat- muck father, <laughs> elderly. We did have to eat supper at four thirty, but it was worth yeah. it. <laughs> and we went to Denny's to get the old age discount. Right? <laughs> yeah, if we let you pay, it was always fifteen percent cheaper. It was great. Oh, you're such a dick, elderly. It's the first time anybody's called me elderly. In fairness, I was referring. I'm 64 years old. I'm not elderly. I was referring to Pop Pop. He's 70.
1: Okay, that's that's old. It is old. Oh my God! It's older than dirt. Does dirt get that old?
0: I think so. Okay,
1: here comes professional wrestling's first and foremost metrosexual, Marcus Alexander Bagwell.
0: How much money do you think lifetime he spent on disposable razors?
1: Uh, between the disposable razors, the nutritional supplements, <laughs> we'll leave it go at that. And you know, silicone calf muscles. I don't know. He spent a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I don't think a, a lot of people are in the loop on that. But he even let MTV film like uh, I forget what the the True Life was, but a decade or maybe fifteen, maybe even more years ago. There was a reality series called MTV true life. And it would be like, I have this, I am doing that, whatever his was like a botched plastic surgery. And he had calf implants that were leaking and not going according to plan. So he met him at a no Charlie's or something and (laughs) talked about his calf implants. And, uh, then all these years later, I realized, Hey, that's why he wrestled with these loose boots because he was concerned with what Flair would call minuscule calves. (laughs) <laughs> Minuscule,
1: and you know, you look at Bagwell, and he's you know, he's got big, you know, muscled up shoulders. He's got a big, thick neck. He's got you know, great arms, great chest. But for whatever reason, you know, I guess his calf muscles didn't respond to the type of workout or nutritional supplements he was using at the time, and he just couldn't get calves. He had the calves of a hundred and thirty five pound guy you know, in uh, the upper body of a 240 pounder. So he he decided to get silicone calf implants and took a tremendous amount of heat as a result.
0: Let's talk about that. what type, I mean, how do the boys know? Is he stupid enough to tell them or he has to tell the office, I can't work this week because I got calf implants.
1: I don't know. I remember that. That was before I really got into management. I was, this is when I was still an announcer. So I'm not sure how he, uh, Appropriated the time off to be able to pull that off But the abuse he had to take backstage was relentless Yeah, I'm sure
0: By the way, um, Oakland was scheduled to interview Lex Luger Luger's music would play, but it was Bagwell who came out Then they switched to the NWO music and Buff is essentially saying Luger's never and won't ever beat him Luger's going to come out and make fun of Buff for celebrating DQ and count out wins like he won the Super Bowl. And then he says, while you were jabbering away, Buff, I checked with the production crew and they said there's time for a match. And Buff said there's no referee. So Luger's going to bring out Nick Patrick. Buff says he needs to be warmed up to fight. And Luger slaps him to the mat and we're off to the races.
1: Spontaneous combustion. You never know what's going to happen. Isn't that more interesting than having this match booked and promoting it a week earlier? When something happens spontaneously, when it feels organic, guess what? Subconsciously, the viewer at home thinks it's real. They allow themselves to get sucked into the storyline or the angle or whatever it is you're trying to do here. Spontaneity, folks, if you're listening out there, Come on, spontaneity, make it feel real, I'm begging you. Quit promoting this shit. Doesn't matter. You're promoting this stuff that's going to happen next week and nobody cares. Doesn't it tell you something? Wake the fuck up. Sorry, went off on a tangent.
0: Let's talk about uh, Brad Hart the next day. He says the following morning at the Charlotte Airport, I ran into none other than Earl and Dave Hebner. Earl came up to me with his hand out and an apologetic look on his face that refused to shake his hand, warning him calmly. Don't talk to me. He insisted that he didn't know what was up with Sean and Vince until he was on his way out to the ring in Montreal. What do you mean? You didn't know. I told you Earl, you promised me you swore on your kids, but in the end, I forgave him. I knew that Vince held Earl's livelihood in his hands. And the only thing Earl was guilty of was not having the guts to take a stand against the man who wrote the checks. And then Dave asked me if I thought Bischoff would either take him or Earl on, and I told him I'd ask. Do you remember ever being asked or ever considering doing business with Dave or Earl Hebner?
1: Mm, if he did ask me, I don't remember it. I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just saying I don't remember it. I think I would have remembered it. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I, I you know, it's like, wait a minute. Bret Hart just asked me to hire the referee that was a part of the. Screw job. Right. That would that kind of would have stood stood out to me, but then again, who knows? Maybe he did. Maybe it was over the phone and it was part of another conversation. I don't know. I don't want to call him. You know, I'm not going to call bullshit on it. I just don't remember it.
0: Two things I want to ask you about. Uh, one is this comment from the observer. Even though Bischoff is a good performer in his role and has a major match coming at the pay per view, the idea of him running out four different times on Nitro is bad on a lot of levels. With so many quality wrestlers not able to get any airtime, let alone interview time, it's a morale killer at best. The charges of an ego being out of control are going to naturally be everywhere. So he's not saying that you have an ego out of control, but he is saying that this would lead a lot of guys who aren't getting TV time to be upset. He's freestyling and he's probably not far off. Did you ever consider when you would see a format like this, like, oh, four times? I don't know that I need to be out there that often. Or was it? Well, you know, on some level, I got to get this shit over and I got to sell it. And I, I don't know who I can count on to do it, but I know I can. So I'll go do it.
1: It was neither, neither. Um, it, it And I look what Dave wrote at that time was accurate. True. Um, a good observation, solid observation. Um, I think in in hindsight, you know, I wouldn't let any performer go out four times on the show. Knowing what I know now, you know, that I d- didn't really, you know, pr- I, it's not that I didn't know it, it's that I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't put that much credibility into it. Um, b- but I wouldn't have gone out as often as I did. And I, and I think the reason for it, though, and, I, and again, this is going to sound like rationalizing it and justifying it. I'm not trying to do that because it, it at the end of it all, it, it is wrong. You're either overexposing the talent or you're you're spending too you're you're overexposing the talent and you know overshadowing other talent that needs the time. But here's the thing, it was fucking working. And it's hard not to go out and and put yourself or put somebody else in certain situations when you know you've got a hot story and you've got a hot angle and in my case and it's really awkward talking about myself like this, but there wasn't a lot of people in the industry that had more heat. And I'm talking about in WWE or in WCW that had more heat than I did at this point. I just did. And, you know, part of the, the real pleasure in being a heel that has that much heat is, you know, you're going to be able to get a lot of people over with it. In other words, in my case in particular, and this is, you know, this is really the beginning of me allowing people to kick my ass. Up until this point, I think, you know, people would get to me occasionally, but for the most part, I was playing that chicken shit heel pretty well and not allowing people to get their hands on me with a few exceptions. Um, and because of that, I was able to sustain my heat. But like I said, the cool part of that is, you know, at some point, you're going to, sh- you're going to give that heat back to somebody. You're going to give all that energy back and, and that equity. So it, it was a lot of fun, but I think that probably clouded my judgment more than anything. Not, not the ego part. And I was like, Oh, I get to be on TV again. That wasn't, it. it's never been that for me. It's never been that for me. Not the first time I didn't, the first time I was on camera, I didn't want to be on camera. I, I had no choice in the matter. You know, when I became an announcer, um, it was more out of necessity, and it was something that I was decent at. I wasn't one of the best announcers going, and I know that. But in, in terms of play-by-play, I was not as good as Tony, but close enough to be functional. And then when Nitro came along, I was probably better than anybody in that play-by-play role because it was mine. <laughs> I mean, I I knew it. I knew where we were going. I knew what I was trying to communicate better than anybody. Um, And I was probably more passionate than anybody else could have been in that role for obvious reasons. Uh, Those are the reasons why I did it, not because my ego required it. But I do think my judgment was overshadowed by the fact that I had so much heat that every time I walked out there, you'd get that reaction. And all that did was make me go, okay, great. You know, that's just they're just investing in the character. They're investing in the story and we can use this to get other things over. And that really was my logic, but it was, it was bad logic.
0: I love that NWO sign that said Nash was odds.
1: That's awesome. I just saw that. I've never, (laughs) that's funny.
0: Something else is in the observer in this era says, uh, Bischoff signed a four year contract extension boy of all the times to get an extension. Just a couple of days before the biggest pay-per-view ever, when everything sold out. This is good timing for a new contract. Congratulations, concert.
1: Oh, I did. I signed a new contract? Yeah. I was I was waiting. Oh. Well, that's why I was so fucking giddy yeah. when I was in the ring.
0: You got paid, baby. I didn't have a nose full of blow. I had just signed a new four year deal. You didn't have a nose full of blow. You had a pocket full of dough. There you go.
1: God, it, we could, we could be hip hop artists.
0: Well, I don't know about that, but if you're looking for a new gig, let job genius power, your job search job genius offers free advice on job searching, resume writing, interviewing, and tips to ace your first day on the job. Visit expressproscom jobgenius slash job genius today, or just search for job genius on YouTube and let their educational video series be your guide for entering the workforce. Job Genius is brought to you by Express Employment Professionals, a leading staffing company that employs more than half a million people a year. Now, Express offers good-paying jobs in administrative roles, including customer service, sales, accounting positions, as well as skilled labor jobs like drivers, forklift operators, welders, and even CNC programmers. Apply now at expresspros.com or just call your local office. You can even complete your application over the phone. You see, Express knows jobs, so it's time you get to know Express. One express associate in New York said express is far more professional than other staffing agencies. And they found me work right away. A job seeker in New Jersey said, express is simply the best they're effective, efficient, and do what they say. When you apply for a job, you need a call back an opportunity to interview. So let your local express employment specialist help you out. Job seekers never pay a fee at express. And each week express has thousands of open positions. Don't go it alone in your job search, get to know express, find your local office right now at expresspros.com or on the express jobs app. And we, uh, we want to thank express. This is, uh, our next to last show this year. They've been a big sponsor for us this year. They've helped a lot of our listeners get some new gigs. And if one of your new year's resolutions is to get a new career started or just make more money in your same line of work next year, you need to check out express pros.
1: Kurt Hennig. God, I miss Kurt.
0: By the way, how great would he be today if he was still around with this whole NXT, AEW stuff, and the rise of conventions, the rise of podcasting? He would be a natural fit for any of those.
1: Oh, my God, yes. Especially on a podcast. He's another one that with great sense of humor. The stories that he could tell. Oh, my God. That would be awesome. Awesome.
0: His timing and wit and sense of humor, the perfect cast, the perfect podcast. Come on. So many good names would have been great. And you know, he would have had some fun uh, interactions at conventions and, and stuff.
1: I mean, can you imagine doing a podcast with Kurt Henning just uh, asking him about his favorite ribs?
0: Oh my God. It would have been tremendous.
1: Cause he was like the king of ribs, right? Is that what you've heard over the years? Yeah.
0: Him and Fuji were supposedly two of the biggest. Hey, I know that you, uh, You get tired of me quoting the observer, but man, there was something in it this week that I was just like, this is, this is fucking something else. You know, the, the new Richard Jewell movie you and I talked about and our, and our friend, uh, who listens to the show and is a, and is a big fan of our podcast. Uh, Paul Hauser is, uh, the the lead character. He, he plays Richard Jewell in the movie and in the observer this week, Dave wrote Mike Tanae and noting the new Clint Eastwood movie on Richard Jewell that came out. Noted that Jewel once came to a WCW show in Chicago. There was a party at the House of Blues arranged by the General Bruce MacArthur, who was one of Ric Flair's best friends and is part of the Chicago Blackhawks ownership group. Jewel was in town because he and his mother were guests on Oprah that day and went to Nitro after. Jewel came over to meet Bobby Heenan and Tanae. When Bobby Heenan said, Richard, let me take you down memory lane, kaboom. face turned completely pale and he and his mother quickly left. And that was in the observer. And I thought that is the most Bobby Heenan story I have ever heard. Fucking ever. Wow. I guess you never heard (laughs) that one.
1: I never heard that before, but as you were reading it to me, I could actually hear Bobby Heenan's voice saying the words that is so typical Bobby. I don't know if it really happened or not or something that somebody, I I would imagine Mike today must've told, told that version of the story or his, his take on the story to Dave. Um, so it's probably true, but God, I could hear that. I could
0: hear that. Oh, what a heel. Kaboom. Uh, by the way, go check that movie out. Uh, no matter what you think of, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood or politics or any of that nonsense. This is a wrestling fan. Like one of us, man, front and center. We got to, uh, we got to support our brethren. Go check out Paul's new movie.
1: I love Clint Eastwood directed movies. Did you see the mule? I did. I love that. I just watched that the other night. I, I was having a hard time getting to sleep. So I put it on, on Netflix or wherever I found it. It is such a great movie. Clint's the best, He's such a great actor and a a great director.
0: It just feels like you can't do anything. You know, you can't turn on the media at all anymore without there being a controversy somewhere for something about someone. And it feels like uh, with this movie, I guess somebody took issue with, I don't know, the the representation of a woman. And I don't know all the details, but I just know there's a little bit of controversy, but when I actually look and see like, you know, reviews from people who went, to the movie, it did really, really well.
1: No, a guy like Clint Eastwood is going to get a ton of uh, negative publicity from anybody that you know pays any attention to his politics, and they're going to just shit all over the movie because they don't like his politics, which is really a shame. I mean, the movie is the movie; his politics or his politics are two different things. But you know, people just—I think so many people wake up every morning just praying. They're going to hear or read something that makes them feel like a victim so they can go on social media and be critical of other people and demonstrate how much of a victim they are or how woke they are or how much better than they are than everybody else. And it's just – it's it's sad. It's sad. It makes social media not so much fun. I've actually quit following you know, a, a number of people. Not because I dislike them or, or, or anything else, but just the negativity in social media is just overwhelming. I can yeah. really
0: to the point your... that, I don't, Go know that ahead, bro. I don't know that you saw, but the Young Bucks actually got off of Twitter last Friday.
1: I can imagine, you know, in the position that they're in and just the, the negativity that you can find online. Uh, you know, look, I guarantee you there's a lot of people that are really uh, supportive of AEW. They've got a great fan base, you know. Just about everybody wants them to succeed because we do need alternatives. There needs to be something different. There needs to be competition. There just does in order for the professional wrestling sports entertainment industry to be healthy. It has to exist. Otherwise, it'll just die a slow, very slow, but a slow death. So I think anybody that's really honest with themselves and knows anything about the industry should be very supportive of AEW. That being said, it doesn't mean that you can't be critical of them or question or challenge them uh, from time to time the same way you would your favorite sports team or, you know, one of my favorite shows Mrs. B and I watch on TV right now is Power. There are times when I'm watching that series on television I'm going, why did they do this like this? Why didn't they do it like that? I mean, that's part of being engaged in something. But when you're just being negative for the – just the sheer twisted fucked up joy of being negative. So you can watch other people react to it at that point. Eh, time out. Got to go. So I don't blame them. You know, they're in a, the bucks are in anybody associated with AEW right now. They're, in, they're still in a little bit of that honeymoon phase, but I'm beginning to see a groundswell of people that are just wanting to take shots just for the sake of taking shots to prove that they're smarter or they could do it better or whatever. And it's, it's very unfortunate.
0: One more thing, and then I'll move on. I do want to plug our buddy's movie. Uh, the Richard Jewell movie has a, a 96% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So keep that in mind if you hear somebody pooping on the movie. 96% of those who saw it recommended it and dug it. So yeah, don't listen to another critics. fan. Look at there, two fans coming in. Charlotte is fired up. I, and look, at, look at Randy Anderson. He's going to rip his fucking eye out. <laughs> and DDP's trying to get the guy to do downward facing dog. He's going to be okay.
1: <laughs> no, and those Charlotte cops that uh, were working with Doug, I'm sure took care of the situation once they got it backstage.
0: I guarantee that
1: person who tried to hit that ring was feeling it the next morning.
0: Oh, without question. So DDP calling out Mr. Perfect, Kurt saying, Hey, how you feeling? of course the NWO is going to come out and, uh, as they make their way to the ring, DDP is going to scoot through the crowd. And then we're going to see, uh, quite the finish here to this show. And this is what nitro was all about, man. The hot finish. You guys were doing this really, really well. Here you come strutting out with the big gold belt, Conan, Hulk Hogan, the macho man in tow and the second wave has Scott Norton. And it's like, we got Scott hall back there and. Mike Jones, Not everybody see the AB, the T, the a team, the B team, the C team. We were all one team. We were even all though, one. even though Kurt was just here and retreated. He's back now and look, everyone's looking up. The fans are selling it. DDP going through the crowd. DDP in 1997, man became a player. You look at the beginning of this year, the Diamond Cutter with the Outsiders and the Superdome, and then we're closing the year, and he's going through the crowd. and He's a made man now, and it's all because of you know the interaction with the NWO, first with the Outsiders, then the monumental feud with Randy Savage that year, the one feud of the year in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Really, really a banner year for DDP.
1: I honestly, I think it, a lot of it started. I mean, there, there's no one thing. You know, that got. DDP over as much as it did. Um, it was a combination of a lot of things, including and probably not the least of which is his own hard work and commitment, but getting rid of all of his goofy ass gimmicks and making him really, you know, a, a man of the people coming down through the crowd, leaving through the crowd, you know, the kind of reaction that you're going to get when you do that. And that crowd reaction, you know, of, of, to DDP as he was either coming down through the crowd or leaving through the crowd Probably got him over as much as anything, uh, any one thing. Um, it, it changed everything for him. And he really did. He became, you know, he became the workings man talent, if you will. Ooh, what's this?
0: The lights oh, go sp- out. You know what that means? Spooky kooky, Sting. Where'd he go?
1: The lights are flashing. The mystery of it. Oh, the lights are back on. Where did he go? He disappeared. This is craziness. Hulk Hogan, nervous as a cat and on a hot tin roof.
0: Another There's fan jumping in the ring again. Jesus Christ.
1: They don't breed him that smart in Charlotte, do they?
0: How, how about Dillinger was smart and climbed on the inside of the ring knowing As many of we've had jumps so far, as soon as these lights go out, somebody's going to jump in. He was already in the rink waiting. How
1: many fans right now do you think, as as we're watching this, now that it's dark, how many fans are thinking about, now I can go in, now I, I can make it happen?
0: Well, I'm really hoping that it happens next week on SmackDown with a bunch of ladies doing a flash mob dance. You called for it. Smackdown hey, did gals. we
1: did we see any eighty three weeks uh, posters on SmackDown last night? You know,
0: I heard that there was uh, a T shirt, but I I, uh, I didn't get to see the actual episode. We're I'm gonna out.
1: have to look for that. Ooh, look at Sting! Now he's on top of the. Oh my God, he's moving around the entire arena. This guy is not human. He's not. Really, this is spooky. This is kooky spooky Sting here. This is really kooky spooky Sting.
0: Sting on the, on the top of the WCW set is such a cool visual. You know, I wish you guys would have sold that as a poster. People would have bought it.
1: Can not we rip it off and sell it now?
0: Why not? You know, worst we'll get is a cease and desist from WWE. And at this point I've got so many, I use it to keep a, wo- a wobbly coffee table level.
1: Not only that, but you, we can make a lot of money before that cease and desist hits. Spoken we could sell that. We could sell that idea out before the cease and desist even gets here. By the time the cease and desist comes, we have already made all of our money.
0: We would have already desisted. God damn it! <laughs> this is a business plan. Oh my gosh! And and business is white hot for WCW. You guys are on your your death march for WCW. starcade 1997, the biggest main event in wrestling history at that point, certainly the most talked about in the history of WCW. But I mean, I think you'd have to go back to Hogan Savage at WrestleMania five, maybe even Hogan Andre at WrestleMania three, but even those, none of them had the length of the storyline that this one did, nor the heat We're on our way. And you can go enjoy that show anytime you'd like in the archives at 83weeks.com. We should mention, as you might imagine, Nitro gets a 4.1 for this show. Raw gets a 2.7. So it smiles all around and it'll be smiles next week. Of course, this is our next to last show of 2019. We're going to uh, finish out the year strong next week. We'll be covering Starrcade 1993, uh, Ric Flair, big Van Vader for the world title. And oddly enough, right here, back in Charlotte, where this very nitro took place. What are the odds of that?
1: Odds of it are pretty good. Charlotte was a fun place to work.
0: Well, and we hope you've enjoyed our work this week, visiting a little way back machine from 1997 next week. It will not be watch along Jones. So be, be comfy this uh, Christmas and sitting around and watching Starcade and the recliner. Get ready. Starcade 93 next Monday, right here on Westwood one. It's 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff.
1: Merry Christmas. Ho, 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 ho.